Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we are the Minimalists. Oh, what a special day we have for you today. Malabama is here. Hi, everybody. TK Coleman. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait. When are we supposed to put up Christmas lights? Now. Whenever you want. It is now. Yesterday. It is now. That's what I thought. Well, this Last is our week. first episode of December. Oh, right, right, right. So they definitely should be up by now. Already, for sure. Yeah. No yeah. doubt. I mean, I'm thinking <laughs> mid-August for TK, right? <laughs> January 1st. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you take them down on the 31st. No, you just a, never take them, them down. There right. You go, there you go. Bam. No, I had a buddy who was like, I skipped Thanksgiving this year. I went straight to Christmas. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I put up my lights. I'm like, this is when you're supposed to put up your lights. <laughs> 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 well, we're not talking about Christmas today because what we're really talking about, it's that time of year where people start taking off work. They travel a bit. This is going to be an evergreen episode, though. It's an episode about intentional travel. And... You know, a lot of people had a two-year period where they didn't do much traveling, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, Ryan and I had about a 30-year period where we didn't do much traveling. Right. It was like, well, let's were driving down to Cincinnati. Yeah. I drove to Columbus sometimes. Yeah, I made it to Indianapolis that one summer. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're going to talk about travel today. We have a bunch of your questions, but patrons, if you are in the live stream, drop your questions and comments about travel. We'll get to them as soon as we can. By the way, big shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Thanks to you. You keep our podcast 100% advertisement free because say it with me, y'all. Advertisements Advertisements suck. suck. Oh, they really do. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Some with- more than others. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with our callers. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call 406-219-7839 or email your voice memo right from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. Let us know that you are a private podcast subscriber so we can prioritize your message. Our first question today is from Renetta. Hi, this is Renetta, and I'm a Patreon subscriber calling from Denmark. My question is for TK. On the recent Stuffitis episode, you mentioned that you usually travel with a book bag, but that the last time you traveled by plane, you didn't even bring a backpack. Do you usually travel for overnight or multiple day trips with just a backpack? Can you walk us through your packing list or tips to minimize what we travel with? TK, I want to get to you with this question because I know it's addressed specifically for you, but joining us on the phone to help us answer this question is someone I would call a travel expert, a friend of ours. His name is Malcolm Fontier, and you'll probably know him from Packed Bags. Malcolm, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me here. Good to be here. So he's joining us from Montana, uh, up in Bozeman, where Packed Bags, his travel bag company, is located. And you may know about Packed Bags because five years ago, shortly after our first Netflix documentary came out, Minimalism, which, by the way, you can still check out. No longer on Netflix. We've removed it from Netflix. You can still check it out, though, at minimalismfilm.com. There's a scene in Minimalism where uh, Ryan and I are walking around to all these different bookstores, Airbnbs, hotels, etc. And I open up my bag that is packed and... 
I am showing off what I travel with, what mm-hmm. is in the minimalist's bag. Even though Ryan and I are on this tour for an entire year, all I have is this one carry-on piece of luggage that it just fits in our trunk. Ryan's Toyota Corolla. Ryan had the same exact bag. Yep. So did Colin Wright in yeah. the documentary. Right. Yeah. And so as we're traveling around with this bag, I started unpacking and so many people started reaching out and saying, where'd you get the bag? And at first I was so upset. Like, this is the, this is what you got out of our minimalism documentary is where can I buy your right. bag? I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that's the one thing that you're reaching out to me about on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but then I realized like, well, no, I've gotten more value from this bag than just about any other other material possession that I own. I use it every single day when we're traveling, whether it's a short, if I'm going out for a day or if I'm going out for a year, I'm packing one bag and it fit everything that I needed. It created some limitations so that I couldn't overpack. It made me be really intentional with my travel. And I said, well, you know, sorry, only 300 of these bags were ever made. Our friend Malcolm Fontier made it and it's not available anymore. And eventually, Malcolm, you reached out to us and he said, hey, would you like to partner up on bringing this bag back out? Because so many people are asking for it. And it's the one and only time Ryan and I have ever endorsed a physical good or product. We've ever made a physical good or product. And as you know, we don't do any advertisements on this podcast. We teamed up with Malcolm and our sales strategy was, hey, you probably don't need a new bag. <laughs> but if you do, here is the one that has worked really well for us. Yeah. And so that's our backstory with Malcolm. That was five years ago that we partnered with him to launch that bag. And he has turned that into an entire company now. Uh, Pact is the name of the company. And they have different travel bags for intentional travel. Malcolm, I want to address Renetta's question head on, though. Um, we'll, we'll ask TK because he specifically mentioned something. But I'd like to know about you. When you travel, how do you travel intentionally? Absolutely. Um, that was a great, uh, great recap there, Josh. Uh, I just want to add one piece of uh, information there, uh, for the for anybody out there listening. If, I, if my memory is correct, I think what you were showing in that piece in the in the movie was how you keep your clean underwear separate from your <laughs> dirty underwear. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not mistaken. Anybody out there struggles with that? Josh has a great strategy, and uh, I recommend going and checking out that piece on the movie. Um, but yeah, yeah, back to Renata's question. Um, yeah, for me, uh, there's a few different things. Um, one, uh, I guess, is we're all guilty, I think, of if you have the space, fill the space. And, um, and so, uh, if you have an oversized bag, it just, it tempts you to throw in that one extra thing. Like, Oh, I don't know if I really need that extra, that extra pair of pants or shirt or shoes. Uh, but I got the space, so I'll just throw it in there. Um, so step one is just, you know, traveling with something that, you know, is realistic as far as I can fit what I need in here and no more, because, uh, um, for me, it always, it feels like one more pair of whatever. Um, but Halfway through that trip, especially if you're spending a lot of time on your feet, you start regretting that that extra weight there. Um, that's one way. For sure. So TK, what's your secret to traveling with one backpack? Oh, there's no secret, man. There was just an experiment. I was just so overwhelmed by having so many things and I didn't like the burden of it. I didn't like the physical heaviness of it. I didn't like the the way it was just consuming, you know, mental real estate. And so I just said, I'm going to try to get away without it. Now, what I used to do is in my book bag, I would have my laptop, 
and my charger. I would have about three to four portable phone chargers. Um, I would have food in there, like some protein bars and some fruit. I would have about like three books and and probably some other stuff that I'm that I'm forgetting. And what I realized was I'm packing everything based on fear. Mm. I'm afraid that some emergency is going to come up with work and I'll need my laptop. And then I'm afraid that while I'm using my laptop, my battery is going to die. So I need that big charger that I don't like carrying around. I'm afraid that I'm going to really need my phone and my phone battery is going to die. And one portable charger won't be enough. So I have three or four portable chargers. I'm afraid that I'm going to get hungry and I won't have anything to eat. So I got to make sure I have some protein bars and some fruit in there. And I realized, what if I just let go of all those fears and just trusted myself to make things work? Maybe I won't succeed, but at least I can give myself a try, right? And so I said, I'm not going to bring my computer because everything I do on there, I can do on my phone. And not only that, I'm lying to myself because I don't have time to do a bunch of work anyway, right? So let's just admit that. Let's just own that. Let's stop pretending like I'm going to do some stuff. And that actually made my life less stressful because I stopped making promises to other people that I'll do this or that on the road. And I just started getting honest and saying, I'll handle that when I come back. I'm going to be on the road. I won't be doing any work, right? And so I just boil it down to my computer. I mean, to my phone. And then I say, well, I don't need all those chargers. I will just bring my one charger that goes into the wall and I'll put that in my pocket. And what I'll do is I'll turn my phone off when I'm not using it and I'll choose not to use it less so that the battery, I mean, not to use it as much so that the battery lasts longer. So now I get on the plane and I don't use my phone for texting, for looking at the internet. I don't pay money to be online while I'm on the plane. I don't use my phone to read anything that's on there. I just turn it off and I give myself a break from the phone. And you know what I do? I just sit there. And sometimes when I sit there, I enjoy meditating or my body says, gee, thank you. I'm going to sleep, right? And I fall asleep. And the same thing with the books. I'll bring like three or four books because I'm afraid that I'm going to get bored or I'm I'm afraid that I'll pick the wrong book. And I just leave them all at home and it's like, hey, you know what? I didn't have time to read anyway, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I can kind of get to know my own mind. And so I just did away with the bag. And I not only felt lighter and felt freer, but then I just saw through all of my fears and realized that most of the stuff that I'm packing, I don't need it anyway. And so I'm not against bringing a bag. I can imagine some scenarios where it might be useful to bring. But every time I travel now, I question that. And I, and I just think about, hey, what, what am I comfortable holding in my hand? and putting in my pocket. And it just feels good to go that way. And I, I I still feel like people look at me like, what rule did I break to do that? Because everyone's just like so overburdened with their stuff. Yeah. And they're like, what is this guy doing? I mean, and sometimes if I have a layover, I try to get nonstops, but there, there have even been times where I'll have an hour and a half layover, which is not a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'll just leave the airport and go for a walk because not having any stuff, mm-hmm. I don't have any fear about getting back in. I'm, I'm never in a rush to catch that plane. It's just amazing to be able to do that, you know? Man, it's so nice to have only a carry-on. I mean, and this is, I mean, I guess maybe it is a little bit of a promotion, but like that's what I like about Malcolm's bags is like all of them um, fit as a carry-on. Mm-hmm. So like you don't have to worry about putting it in the little measurement thing and seeing if it's going to, uh, you know, meet the requirements to be a carry-on. But like, I'm telling you, like that has freed up me and Mariah so much. Like what stood out to me, TK, is the the multiple chargers because what you had there were some just-in-case items. Yep. And, you know, when Josh and I, when we, when we went on our first tour, um, we brought a bunch of just-in-case items with us. I mean, we, 
we uh, it was only a week mm-hmm. that we were gone for that first uh, leg that we did with uh, minimalism, live a meaningful life with that book. And uh, we get to our destination. We get to our hotel in St. Petersburg, Florida. We open up the trunk and I start looking at everything we have. And I'm like, dude, we are the biggest hypocrites because I've got a duffel bag. I've got a suitcase. Josh has like a garment bag in case there was like an impromptu funeral or wedding. <laughs> I have no idea why he brought the garment bag. I think he was wearing, thinking about wearing a suit during one of the events. Impromptu wedding. Yeah, yeah right. I was hoping Nicodemus would die during the tour. <laughs> Sucker, I'm still to, here. I could go to his funeral. I'm still well here. Dressed. But that, but that's like one of, the, one of the biggest rules that I have right now is I don't carry uh, two of anything that isn't necessary. So of course with shirts, I'm going to carry multiple shirts so I can get by for a few days. Uh-huh. Um, if I want to bring pants, I just bring the one pair of pants that I have. Um, if I plan on swimming, I'll bring a pair of shorts, but I don't bring multiple pairs of shorts where that's what I was doing when we went down to St. Pete. I'm like, well, we're going to be in Florida. Maybe we'll go swimming. So I'll bring a pair of swim trunks. And then like Malcolm said, I've got room for another pair. I might as well bring another pair with me just in case that one pair gets shredded or too dirty. And I want to swim, you know, twice. But now like, yeah, I, I pack enough clothes basically for about five days. Mm-hmm. And what happens like, uh, Mariah and I just went upstate New York uh, to visit some of my family and I brought five days worth of clothes. We were there for 10 days and yeah, on that day five or day six, we did some laundry. It wasn't that big of a deal. And That's like right. everywhere we went on tour in 2014, uh-huh. we, there was always a place to do laundry. So in 2014, we kind of learned from our past mistakes and we brought only that bag that that Josh was talking about. I'll never forget when that cop pulled us over. <laughs> and he was like, so we get pulled over for going one mile over the speed limit in Kansas. And uh, the cop basically is like, well, Josh, I can... Uh, I can either uh, uh, give you a, a speeding ticket or you can let me search your car. Like that was the ultimatum he gave us. So Josh is like, okay, you can search our car. And like we go off to the side of the road and, and Josh is like, hey, Ryan, do I need to worry about anything in there, man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, Josh. <laughs> Thankfully, Malcolm's bags yeah. have these hidden pockets. Right, so exactly. We're, we're good to go. <laughs> so, so, this dude, so this dude opens up the trunk and he sees two bags in there and he's like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, oh, we're on a 100 city book tour. He's like, how long have you been on the road? We're like, oh, we've been on the road for like four or five months. And he's like, all you have is this one bag each. Like it was, he was real, it was real sus to him. And I mean, what are we going to say? Officer, we're minimalists. (laughs) (laughs) Malcolm, I'd love to bring you. a uh, point that TK said when it was in there about sometimes people look at you suspiciously that you don't have a bag. Um, I've been in that same spot coming back through customs one time on an international trip. And, uh, you know, customs uh, customs agents are constantly looking for a way to, you know, something to, something that might tip them off. And when I came through to just one uh, shoulder bag, they're like, you're coming back from an international trip and that's all you have? You don't have any more luggage you need to collect? Oh, wow. Uh, no, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like... You try traveling and just carry on, and and and, then, and he's, he rolled his eyes at me and uh, and, uh, and let me go through. But um, but so, a couple of things that Ryan and TK said uh, totally resonate with me. One is um is uh, is is versatility in helping narrow down your stuff. Is um you know like TK's example of the Chargers uh, and uh, Ryan's uh, talking about some of the the clothes and stuff. For me, it's like yeah, when you look at you know trying to pick things that are super versatile, like whether it's a pair of shoes that. You know, I could hike in these or or I can go to a somewhat nice restaurant in them. If I can get one pair of shoes that was good doing all of those things, yeah. that's the winner. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. And the, the, and the other, yeah, is just, uh, is, is that just being, is, I think it's for me traveling and part of the travel experience 
is all about improvising. I mean, that's part of that's part of what the the experience is, and it makes you come back with memories. Um, you know, when when I'm at home, that's the time when you've got everything in its place, where you're like, oh, I need to do this, and you grab that off the shelf. Uh, when you're traveling, uh, for me, it's like, all right, it's about making do. It's about figuring out how to get through the situation, and uh, and you know, and when you do that with your travel gear, if you've got just enough to get by, but you know, you get a little creativity, you can make it work uh, to do everything you need to, and that's to me, that's part of that travel experience. I love it, like, yeah, making an experience out of maybe hunting down something that that you forgot or that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing too, is like, you can't plan for everything, especially when you go internationally. Mm-hmm. So as much you could bring all the bags you want, there's going to be something that comes up. Yeah. What TK was talking about earlier and what both of you and Malcolm have alluded to is something, uh, I, I call the go without it rule. Mm-hmm. And this is an extension of the just in case rule that Ryan just talked about. The just in case rule is if I'm going to pack something just in case, Nope, don't pack it at all. Because if I absolutely need it, I can replace it for less than $20 in less than 20 minutes from wherever we are. And most people don't know that that started as that travel rule. And then Mm. we brought it into our homes because it made so much sense for the excess in our homes as well. The go without it rule is an extension of that where it's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to bring these four books. Wait a minute. I know that I might read some of them. But just because I could, I could read all of them doesn't mean that I'll get more value by bringing them than if I were to go without. If I go without, I'll actually get more value. So instead of bringing all four books, I bring one book generally. I'll read that book until it's finished. And guess what? There's no book shortage wherever I go to a city and it's like, oh, where am I possibly going to find a second book to read? No, they're really easy to find books, right? Now, of course, you can do it from your phone. You can do it from a Kindle as well. So you're not weighing yourself down. i tend to prefer physical books whenever possible. And so I will simply go without the extra three. I'll bring the one, like you do with your shorts. Mm -hmm. I'll bring the one book. I'll simply go without the excess. Because if I need to go out and get something, I definitely can do it. Renata, before we go, it's probably worth mentioning, and this is just echoing everything that Malcolm, TK, and Ryan have said, traveling with fewer things creates room for more experiences. Now, the way that we do that is we create these limitations. We can't pack everything, just like we can't experience everything as well. And so limiting our travel plans, our travel packing, traveling with fewer things opens up the possibilities for us. And the only way we do that is we create these rules that work well for us. And so if you haven't done so already, I'd encourage you to download our free ebook. It's called The Minimalist Rulebook, 16 Rules for Living with Less. Most of those you can apply to your travels as well. Or if you want the audiobook version, Renetta, we'd be happy to send that to you as well. Our next question is from Alex. This is Alex, a Patreon subscriber from Monterrey, Mexico. How would you describe an intentional travel regarding a below or within my means budget, hospice, nurturing routines, and company? For some context, on the budget, well, I would most certainly look for something below or within my means. I would go with my dog, so we could comfortably uh, sleep in the car. Uh, Regarding the next, which is where it gets more complicated, uh, is the maintenance of the routine where I feel comfortable to walk Neptuno. That's my dog's name. 
do some groceries and find some day or nightlife uh, somewhere I can hang in the morning or somewhere I could hang in the evening along those lines and also uh, maybe it's because I was going to do these trips with my ex-girlfriend but I feel like I should take someone with me quote-unquote should of course I could take my family but I'm not sure they will enjoy it the same way I do or we would have the same plans to hang and uh, yeah I, I'm just feeling like I should have company when maybe it's more of a trip for myself so that's just a bit of context so Malcolm what I learned from you, and I think this is important, especially for the first half of Alex's question, expansive travel does not require expensive travel. We often conflate the two. If I spend more money, my trip will be more robust, more expansive. And in some contexts, that can certainly be true. But having expansive travel, you know, we have a friend, Chris Gillibo, who's been to all 193 countries. Yeah. And in doing that, it wasn't at great expense necessarily, although he spent a lot of his time, his attention, his skills getting around the world, but it didn't require a whole lot of money, Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think there's all, different, there's all different ways to approach that. And to me, I guess, expansive or intentional travel, the way I... The way I separated from, I guess, other travel is basically is, is the going there with a goal of basically bettering yourself or bettering the people or place that you visit. And, um, but you don't have to go far for that. Uh, you know, that could be for either of those could be, I, mean, I want on the very extreme end of the spectrum on, uh, on the affordable side, it can be going across town to a neighborhood that you don't know, or a neighborhood that has a different culture, uh, than, and than the one that you're in and going there with something to, you know, that you hope to take away from, from the people, uh, you know, take away from your experience there through the people that you meet or the things that you see. Um, but, but then going further, um, uh, expanding that to, you know, a, what most people think of as travel is leaving home, going to another city or, or another country. And yeah, to what you said, Josh, it does not have to be expensive. Um, uh, myself, I've done some long, some long, uh, I don't know, extended travel uh, for a few months at a time, and I know a lot of a lot of friends and other contacts that have traveled. Some of them for years at a time, and the first question out of most people's mouths are uh, about that about it is, "How do you afford to do that?" Yeah. Um, well, really, can <laughs> the, the, they're usually surprised to hear that uh, you can often travel for cheaper than you can stay home, especially if you live mm-hmm. in one of our U.S. Uh, expensive us uh big us cities um you know it's just a little creativity and and, uh you can make your make your money go farther so uh traveling within your means um below your means uh i think no matter what the experience that you want to have um most of the time there's there's a way to do it make it happen yeah I, i i think about the uh all the free museums we went to when when we were traveling in the united states Mm -hmm. and like those were some of the best museums. The Corn Palace. Yes, the Corn Palace. You had to pay to get in the Corn Palace. Oh, so. yeah, but it was right. worth it. It's a palace. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, dude, so we're driving. We kept seeing advertisements for the Corn Palace. Which and, is in one of the Dakotas. Yeah, and Josh and I are like, just kind of making fun of the cheesy billboards. <laughs> and, and like, as soon as we come up to the exit, we look at each other and we're like, 
Well, we didn't drive all this way to not go to the Corn Palace. <laughs> and plus, I've always called Ryan the Corn Prince. Yes, and I met the the Corn King and Queen, lovely people over there at the Corn Palace. No, I I I uh, I think there's so many ways to enjoy wherever you are um, that don't cost a lot of money. I mean, and a lot of those places are free. I mean, even here in LA, the Getty, one of my favorite museums, it's free. Um, you got to pay to park, mm-hmm. uh, but that's it. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's a million different ways that you can enjoy traveling that doesn't cost a, a ton of money. I want to talk about how he feels like he should travel with someone. Yes. So I travel with someone, Mariah, but I love traveling with her. Um, not only that, but I like traveling with her. Yeah. So, so, you know, her and I get to go on adventures together and it's something that I do because it, it enhances my experience. I don't travel with somebody else because I think I should. Mm-hmm. When I go mm-hmm. visit other countries, I'm typically planning to visit people while I'm there, not because I feel like I should, but because I want to see my friends I haven't seen in a while. So I, uh, he did say the quote unquote should, um, but I would question that, you know, uh, Alex, if you are traveling with someone because you think you should, why do you think you should do that? Is it a get to or a have to? And if it's a have to, I would question that. And yeah. I would say, TK, if you feel like you should travel with someone, you might actually be missing out on the experience of solo travel that people often find so much about themselves. They rediscover themselves in a way that they never even knew was possible. How? By traveling on their own. You all hear the stories about, oh, this young woman went and backpacked around Europe and now she sells jewelry in India. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, how did that happen? It was a process of self-discovery. It was shedding the people that we were treating as mm. access, travel accessories, not yeah. allowing people to be a travel accessory. Now, you can have a companion and it can heighten the travel, but it does make the travel appreciably different from if you're going on a, a solo voyage. Yeah. Having other people around should feel like addition, not subtraction. When we're together, we amplify one another's adventure, right? But so many people experience that as when we're together, you take away from my freedom, you mm. take away from my happiness, you take away from my joy. And that's where you end up when you should all over yourself. Like, I want to go do this thing, but I guess I should bring them along. Uh-huh. That's Wayne Dyer's phrase. Don't should all over yourself. Alex, one thing I'll say to you about this travel stuff is like in the world of entrepreneurship, build momentum, then focus on scaling. Figure out how to do a few things really well before you focus on adding more to it. What did Amazon do? They mastered doing the book really well. And then they added the streaming music and the streaming video. What did what did McDonald's do before they added the milkshake and the salads and the McCafe? They figured out the burger part, right? And when it comes to traveling, I would say before worrying about adding a bunch of people, especially since you're thinking about it as a should, just focus on you because other people complicate things. You got to coordinate. It raises expenses. And you, it doesn't sound like you have a specific person that you're really pumped up about traveling with. Just get out there, build momentum. And then you come back home and you say, hey, I really enjoyed this trip. And maybe someone else says, hey, I'd love to go with you next time. And you can figure it out. Or maybe you go someplace and you say, you know, I really would love to have this person come along with me. And the next time around, it's easier to add someone else to your already existing habits because you've built momentum. Here's the last thing I'll say. 
travel for yourself, not for others. Mm. We live in this Instagram culture that convinces us our experiences don't mean anything if we can't sell a cool story about it. Mm. But you've got to live for the story that you experience, not for the story that you can tell, not for the story that you can sell, right? So when we travel, we don't travel so that we can come back home and say, hey, look, everybody, I went to this interesting place. We travel so that we can come home and look in the mirror and say, hey, you, I've become this interesting person. The whole purpose for like venturing out to unfamiliar places on earth is so that we can unearth unfamiliar spaces in our own soul, right? That's the goal of travel. And so do it for you, not for others. When did showing pictures of your travel become so popular? I guess it was Instagram because before that, like before the internet, like I remember, uh, you know, my mom bringing me over to a friend's house who like just got done traveling and we're like sitting there in front of a slideshow and no, like, a, you know, the old project, it's awful. Like we're sitting there and no one likes being there except for the people who are showing the slides, which is great. And we're there to support them. Uh-huh. But it's funny because at some point it became cool to show your travels. I, I think <laughs> as soon as you could interact, because mm. I think if Instagram or Twitter or Facebook was merely a photo, you didn't have the ability to like it, comment, follow it, whatever. All of a sudden it would become that same travel album. Yeah. I would say ever since the camera was invented... We were taking pictures of people on the Titanic, right? Mm-hmm. Which I don't think they enjoyed the whole trip. <laughs> Probably not. Gosh. <laughs> too yeah, soon. Right. <laughs> Malcolm, Always too soon. Malcolm, I want to circle back though real quick because I love what you talked about with being a tourist in your own town. My wife mm-hmm. and I will do this about every other week. We will... We, we call it, uh, we used to call it screenless Saturdays, but now we, we do it on Wednesdays together. Every other Wednesday I take off and I will put my phone in a drawer and basically get lost in our own city or county. And the irony of that is that's how Ryan and I originally moved to Montana. We were just driving through and we became a, a tourist there. We gravitated back toward Missoula, Montana and eventually ended up moving there. And then we moved to Los Angeles and I found myself exploring all of Los Angeles. I'm going to go to Atwater Village this Wednesday and just, I didn't even know what Atwater Village was. Let's drive there. Oh, now we're in Eagle Rock or now we are in Azusa. We're in South Pasadena. Wherever we might go, we start learning about the culture of the people and you realize that LA is in LA. It's like these 88 different municipalities of 100,000, 200,000 people that are all sort of sandwiched together. And it's like having access to 100 different cities right there. In fact, when we moved up to Ojai, it's because we accidentally got lost there one week a couple of years ago. We were just driving around, got lost. And I'm like, I, I didn't even know how to pronounce it. What is Ojai? <laughs> no idea. And yet, we found ourselves, hey, let's go back here sometime. And we went back and then we went back again. We went back again. And we said, oh, we really like this place. And it's because we were a tourist in our own city. And we went out and we got lost together. When you get lost with someone you love, you often discover something you could never have imagined you would have discovered. Malcolm, thank you so much for joining us today. I've got one last thing here since TK mentioned Amazon earlier. they I opened up an Amazon box a week or so ago and it had this vapid corporate logo. But let me see if I could find some profundity in this corporatism, the, this corporate maxim. On the side of the box, it said, spend less, smile more. Hmm. And isn't that the perfect mantra for Alex here. You don't have to spend all of your money. 
in order to experience more, to smile more, to travel more. The year Ryan and I left the corporate world, we made less money that year than we had our entire adult lives, about $23,000 each. And we traveled more that year than we had the previous three decades combined. Yeah. And how did we do that? Well, we spent less and we smiled a lot more. We slept on hardwood floors. We, uh, yeah, I know we talk about our publicist apartment. She's so kindly, Sarah Maniachi, let us stay with her. And uh, yeah, we took turns between the love seat, the antique love seat and the wood floor. They were both really uncomfortable. I don't even know if one was more comfortable than the other, but like we were trading off. Uh-huh. But that makes me think about couch surfing. Like that is an amazing way to, uh, when you go to another country to have a place to stay for free. Like if you get on there and give to that community, like you're going, you're going to get back. Um, even that first uh, like stop we ever did in Orlando was all those couch surfers and they had nothing but like amazing stories to tell. And yeah, it's a just one idea to travel a little bit cheaper. Yeah. And by the way, when you travel for yourself and not for others, you get to have those awesome experiences that come from going places that aren't on everyone's tourist radar, but where really cool people and, and activities are going on. Some of my best travel experiences have been in these like super small towns that I'm never going to be able to brag about and they aren't Instagram friendly, but the people that you meet in the cafe, the people that you meet in that small little used bookstore are so awesome that you remember that forever versus saying like, hey, everybody, I went to Disneyland and putting it on Instagram. Yeah. Totally. Um, couple quick, uh, we got a minute, couple uh, real quick thoughts on that uh, stuff that, two points that Josh was talking about. Um, one, I totally agree about uh, about getting lost and discovering stuff. Uh, every time I see that bumper sticker that, uh, well, not all the, not all who wander are lost. The thing that crosses my mind is what's wrong with being lost. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What if, I want to add a line to it that says, uh, I'm lost and I love it. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, That's great. I love that. I'm going to come up with the one get that says there, get, get lost. lost and, uh, and, uh, yeah, get out there, get lost and discover something or discover something about yourself. Yeah. Um, and the other, uh, touching on Amazon, um, going way back to, uh, the story of how, uh, Josh and Ryan and I all connected around after the, they used uh, a bag that my team and I had designed in the movie. Um, I was actually working on a on a uh, environmental venture, and at first I was like, I was, was kind of really reluctant to jump over and, and uh, do this bag, even though thousands of people were were asking where they could get one. And, um, and so I was working on a on a project to try and fight plastic packaging, and um, and then my thinking all changed when I realized, that, wait, it's like. If I work with Josh and Ryan on this, you know, we could actually possibly have more of an impact uh, on this on this environmental issue that I want to tackle than than if I just focus squarely on the environmental issue by um, by incorporating plastic free packaging into this uh, into this project. But anyway, recently, uh, fast forward five years, um, we recently started uh, selling uh, selling on Amazon reluctantly. And, um, but Amazon kept requesting that, like, if you're going to sell here, you need to put these in plastic bags. And we said, we don't. Sorry, we don't. And uh, they kept going back and forth for weeks, and, and finally they said they gave in. They said, "All right, all right, we'll take we'll take your products without the, without the plastic packaging." So anyway, a uh, little wow, Amazon story. Uh, how from uh, yeah from uh, about sticking to your uh, yeah, sticking to your ideals and ethos. Yeah, I mean we all have terms, and once we get clear on those terms, then uh, yeah, it's it's real easy to, to make good decisions off of that. No, I, I love that you do that, man. I, I, yeah, it's freaking incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, Malcolm Fontier. Yeah, yeah. We will uh, put awesome stuff. 
the uh, link to packed bags in the show notes as well. You can check that out at theminimalists.com slash podcast. Malcolm, thank you so much for joining us today. You're awesome, Malcolm. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you guys so much. Been fun. All right, take care. See you. Our next question is from Frederica. My name is Frederica and I am from Malta. What do you do when you travel? Do you stick to photos or videos um, only, like one of the mediums? Or do you incorporate both? The reason I'm asking is because in the previous years, whenever I saw something interesting, now this could be locally or um, abroad, like for example, a landscape, I used to take a picture but also capture a video. Now I'm looking back at all those memories, I guess you can call them, and I'm finding duplicates. The thing is, I don't want to um, experience the same thing in the future. So Hmm. I would like to know uh, what you guys think about it. I have two rules around photos when I'm traveling. Two rules for photos when I travel. Number one is I don't take duplicate photos. And so if I'm snapping a photo of Ryan skateboarding down the street, and it's a little blurry because Ryan's naturally blurry. <laughs> I'm just going so fast on that skateboard. <laughs> I go fast. <laughs> they call him the flash light. <laughs> That's a triple entendre there, Nicodemus. Don't even ask me how. Don't even try to figure it out. <laughs> what's, your, what's your second rule, Milburn? <laughs> so the first thing is I will take only one photo. And let's say that my thumb is in the picture mm-hmm. or whatever. It's charming. It's screwy. <laughs> yes. It's weird. Here's the other thing that I do, though. I take photos only of people. I don't take photos of places or things. You love people more than things. Ah. Dude, it's so hard to capture. Like in Sedona, I tried to take a couple pictures of the scenery. You just can't do it justice. I mean, there are pictures of Sedona online that do it justice, but uh, my iPhone does not capture it the way, you know, a professional photographer's camera captures it. Right. You know, I, I always have the live turned on on my phone. So it's it's a video slash picture. It's only like a three second video, but um, it's kind of funny because I'll be going through those pictures reminiscing and I'll hit the live button and like it just usually captures something silly because, you know, people don't realize. Yeah, yeah, but it's more it's, you know, it's like Josh. Oh, I got something in my teeth. Like you just because it captures audio as well. Mm -hmm. So like I always capture a little snippet of something with the live uh, with the live photo. But yeah, I. I do like I I'm not uh, as um, strict or rigid when it comes to those rules. But man, I'll tell you, um, you are right. Like capturing the scenery, you're very rarely going to be able to capture. I went to Malta, which mm-hmm. is a very photogenic um, island. I mm-hmm. literally Mariah and I were like um, planning a little trip. And I was like, where's the warmest place in Europe in September? And Malta came up and I'm like, what the heck is Malta? Like I hadn't even yeah. heard of it. Yeah. So I was like, well, that's where we're going. Cause I've never heard of it. And they got some like really old ancient ruins, like some of the oldest ruins on, on the planet. And, uh, it was where's gorgeous. It? Malta. It's just, it's an Island just South of Italy. Like you can actually see Italy on a clear day from like certain parts of Malta. It's kind oh, of wow. a tiny Island. It's its own sovereign country. There's a little Island next to it called Gonzo that is also sovereign, but part of Malta. And I, I didn't really understand that, but um, long story short, like it's so photogenic and like, you know, I, I when I was first there, I'm like, Oh, I gotta take a picture of this and take a picture of that. And man, um, 
not one of those have I put on Instagram or or, 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 or is framed or framed or is Instagram yeah. worthy. Um, but yeah, I I love I love that you know taking pictures of people that makes sense. Yeah, I take pictures only of people. I don't take duplicates. Those two things help me travel so much more lightly on my phone because I'm not also pulling my phone out constantly to take pictures of things. It was funny. Bex and I went to Sedona like three or four years ago. And afterward, Ryan's like, oh, you got to show me what it looked like. And so I go, okay. And I pull up my phone and I go to Google. He sent me an image search. (laughs) (laughs) Here you go, friend. But by the way, those photos were so much better and they better communicated what it felt like than if I were like, here's a crappy photo I took at the wrong time of day and the lighting was Mm -hmm. off. You'd be like, oh, I don't really want to go there. But as soon as I showed you the best photos, it was like, oh, I can see myself there. Someone else has already taken the photos for me, so I don't have to capture everything. (laughs) I can let it go right now. I can experience it. I can release it without needing to acquire it because that's what we're doing with our phone. Later in this private episode, we're going to talk about the layer cake of consumerism. And one layer of that is sort of experiential consumerism. Well, what is one way that we experience consumerism, which is also a double entendre here, Mm. but we do consumerism with experiences. I need to capture this. I need to take the photo, capture the photo. Mm. I need to bring this home with me. I can't let this go. As opposed to I can experience this. And when I'm done experiencing it, it's already gone. You get to let it go. Yeah. (laughs) So my my two rules of of, um, photo taking is number one, um, never take a photo if the act of taking that photo takes you out of the moment in a way yes. that minimizes your experience. Oh, yeah. You don't always have to choose, but sometimes you do. And when you do have to choose, choose the present moment yeah. to be fully available to the magic of it. The second thing is take as many videos or pictures as you want, but everything that you take, you got to use it. Even if you turn out not to like it, you got to use it. So one of my things is I love taking screenshots of beautiful quotes that I see on my phone. And so if I take that screenshot, I can't just let it sit there on my phone taking up space. I'm now committed to using it by the very act of taking it. So there may be someone I think of who might also appreciate this quote, or maybe I'll share it on social media or something along those lines. Uh, Maybe there's another site I know that uses those types of quotes and I'll say, hey, here's something that made me think of you you might like. Um, If I take a picture of like a beautiful church or I take a picture of like something at the beach, I got to share it. And sometimes when I take those photos, I think, oh, I don't really think I want to share this. Well, go ahead and keep the commitment and share it. And we'll incorporate that awareness into the next time we take photos. And that balances the consumption with creativity. Like you said, Josh, we have this tendency to want to capture everything, to consume everything. And there's nothing wrong with capturing and consuming, but it gets out of balance when you're not creating with what you capture when you're not taking what you consume and do, doing something with it that serves or enhances the life of someone else. By the time that this episode airs, I will be packing for my honeymoon. Finally. It's a couple years late, but let me share with you guys what I'm going to do for photos for that. David and I are really bad at taking photos, but we always look back and wish we had taken more to both give us time to be together while also getting to capture moments of this experience 
we're going to buy up a bunch of the disposable cameras. You will not be able to reach me by my phone. It will not be on. But we will have the limitations of those physical cameras, and we can only take as many pictures as it'll fit in there. He'll have one, I'll have one, and we'll snap them whenever we want. But once we're out, we're out. Mm. That is to last us for the whole week. And that will challenge us to be very intentional of the photos that we want to capture. Disposable. That's an idea. The last time I used a disposable camera is when Mariah and I did, uh, we did some scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef and they had like underwater disposable cameras. Mm-hmm. And there was such beautiful, like unbelievable, like scenery underneath there. I got the photos back. <laughs> I don't even have them anymore. Oh, no. I spent so much money getting those developed. No. And I, it's like, it was not even close to capturing what it looked like. I was like, oh, here's a blurry fish. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, if you're a billionaire, then every camera is disposable. Oh, <laughs> hey, you tweet just blew that. my mind. Tweet that, Professor Sean. <laughs> so uh, what, one, last, one last thing for um, uh, uh, Frederica here. Uh, with those duplicates, if you have duplicate photos that you are, you know, obviously the best way to prevent them is to not do duplicates in the future. Mm-hmm. That way you're not having to tackle them later, right? But if you have a duplicate or a problem with duplicates in your phone now, I have a trigger set up so that anytime I get on a plane, for you it could be something different. You get on a train, a bus, you're in a waiting room, any sort of interstitial zone where you are forced to deal with photos or forced to be with yourself by yourself, I just go in, I delete any sort of photos I no longer want on my phone. Now, I don't have yeah. duplicates anymore, but if there are any photos I don't want on my phone anymore, that's the time for me to just simply go through and delete them. So find that interstitial zone, the airport lobby, the train, the bus that you're going to be on, where you can spend 15, 20 minutes deleting those duplicates. Mm. Let's move on to some social media questions here. Facebook has a question for us. I know people who work 60 hours a week. This is Jody, by the way. (laughs) I know people who work 60 hours a week, but they still feel like they can't afford the time or costs of a vacation. What do we need to know about achieving the stability and margin necessary to take time off for a vacation and enjoy it too? You know, we often think that joy is a destination. If I just go to Malta, then Mm -hmm. I will experience joy. Mm -hmm. But I'll say this. If joy is a destination, then you have already arrived. Amen. Now, you can bring that joy with you to Malta or to Saskatoon or to the Grand Cayman Islands or to Peru. Wherever you go, there you are. And if you go there as your joyous self then you're bringing that joy that will what? It will magnify that travel experience Mm. because you're looking at that travel through the lens of joy. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I think your, your circumstances never give you the permission to do anything meaningful. And if you're waiting for the right time to make art, make love, if you're waiting for the right time to travel, take a vacation, it's just not gonna happen. You've just got to decide, I'm going to manufacture meaning in the presence of a billion legitimate excuses for why I should do otherwise. Um, the, the other thing I would say, too, is um, when, when asking about questions like, hey, I work 70 hours a week, 60 hours a week, how can I travel? The, the, the right question isn't, um, can I, but rather, how can I? Because when you ask, can I? That's a, a closed question that limits creative thinking. And Yeah, because we just say no. Right. Yeah, we just say no. And even if you say yes, that yes doesn't really impart any insight on how to go about doing it. 
That yes might make you feel good in the moment, but how many times have we said yes to things? Think New Year's resolutions. Mm -hmm. Can I can I uh, get in shape? Yes. Okay, but are you actually going to do it, right? But when you ask, how can I do it? It makes you think specifically about the context of your life and what adjustments you would need to make in order to make it happen for you. And so it activates both critical thinking and creative thinking. So for anything that you want to do, don't ask, can I? It'll shut it down. Ask, how can I do it for the person that I am, for the situation that I am, that I am in, for the obstacles and challenges that are uniquely mine? How can I make it happen for me? Yeah, because, it, you know, in a situation like this where you're working 60 hours a week, even if you're asking yourself, can I, you might have a situation where you can't. Mm -hmm. And asking that question, how can I? Yeah, it starts to get you thinking like, all right, if I were to travel, how would that work? Did you remember in the corporate world where like, we, I, th I don't know how many weeks we got off, three or four weeks, depending on how long you were there. Right. So you had the option of taking your vacation or you had the option of cashing it out. So at the end of the year, if you had, you know, three weeks of vacation left, you could cash that out and they would pay you for those, you know, 120 hours, basically. Man, I'm telling you, like, it was such a toxic culture that if any of our managers took their full vacation, we looked at them like they were lazy. How dare them? Can't believe, I mean, it's a rule that we set up as a corporation, but it was almost entrapment because if they took it and didn't cash out, we looked at it as, as them being weak. And, and what I'll say is in that, in that, in a toxic environment like that, uh, you've got like really, you know, a couple options, I think. One is, um, yeah, you could fall in line, mm -hmm. make yourself miserable, or you could go ahead and do what you need to do for yourself mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, let that judgment kind of run off your back. Uh, you know, like, like, like a water off a duck's back. Like that's yeah. because if you're in a toxic culture, like that's, I mean, what other options are there? Either you got to not care what your coworkers think about you or you fall in line um, or you leave or you leave. Right. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a third option. Yeah. And so the, the leaving of that says, Hey, I'm not going to play this game anymore. It doesn't mean you run into your boss's office today and say, screw you. I quit. I don't have any backup right. plan. I don't know where to go, but it means like, Hey, you know what? This environment is toxic. It's like a toxic vacation environment. Mm -hmm. Be and it's fine. If you don't want to take vacation, I don't like vacations personally. Like for me, it doesn't make any sense. I don't, why would I want to leave the place where I chose to live? Like I really enjoy being here and I don't really love traveling that much, mm -hmm. right? I've traveled a ton, but it's not something that I gravitate toward. And so it's not to say that you should take all four weeks and go somewhere, but you could also take some time off absolutely do nothing. You don't have to travel with that time. I will say this, though. We often think about the cost of traveling, and I think that's embedded in Jody's question here. I know people who work 60 hours a week, but they still feel that they can't afford the time or cost of vacation. Well, they can't. If they're working 60 hours a week every week, mm. yeah. then you can't afford to give up that time. Mm. Right. Literally, you can't afford it. So yes, maybe you even have the financial means because traveling is not that expensive when done well, but it can be really costly in, in terms of your time. And so you have to also give up some of the time that you're giving to this corporation in order to take some time for yourself. Mm. I can't afford it. This is the power of asking, how can I versus can I? Yeah. If the trip will cost me $500 and I don't have that kind of money, can I take the trip? The answer comes back to me as no. And I am simply someone who has this limitation imposed upon them. 
But if I say, how can I afford the trip? Well, I don't have the $500 for it, but when I start to think, how can I? Well, I can get an extra job. I can pick up a couple of extra shifts. And then I say, ooh, that sounds unpleasant. I don't want to do that. That sounds really tiring. Even though the answer is still no, the power is coming from me because I'm making a conscious decision to prioritize. I can take that trip if I really want it to, but I'm not willing to take those extra hours and burn myself out for the sake of the $500. So I choose to stay at home, have a slightly less exciting experience, but have my energy and have my health rather than make the sacrifices necessary for that $500 to happen. In both cases, I don't take the trip, but only in one of those cases do I get to claim and own my personal power. Another question here from Facebook. Bailey wants to know, in your many travels, do your minimalist values ever get put on hold in the spirit of experiencing another culture? Do you book authentic overnight stays filled with knickknacks or do you stick to basic hotels? Will you stroll through foreign markets and malls or focus on consumables like food? So what I'll tell you, Bailey, is minimalists maximize their appreciation with things that enhance their experiences. So as a minimalist, I'm not shunning things. If I go into a culture that really enjoys knickknacks, I can appreciate those knickknacks without what? Without needing to consume them, without needing those to be mine. Ryan and I have gone to so many art museums together when we're on tour. The one thing I don't do when I'm in an art museum is say, oh, I really like that painting and grab it off the wall. <laughs> Ryan sometimes throws soup on them for some reason. That's just my impulse. I don't know why. <laughs> he sometimes goes in grocery stores and pours out the milk too. <laughs> <laughs> but no, what we do is we feel compelled quite often when we go into a culture to then bring that culture home with us through trinkets. And that is where I don't compromise my minimalist values. Nothing wrong with buying a souvenir if you feel like it's going to add value to your life. The problem with souvenirs is if you feel compelled to buy, it becomes a compulsory purchase. I must buy this thing in order to complete my trip, in order to complete my vacation. No, you are already complete and you're actually incompleting your vacation by now bringing home one more thing that you have to lug around in your luggage, you have to carry around through security. You're burdening yourself through consuming someone else's culture. Yeah, that's right, man. I, I do go out of my way to like, you know, I I just love different food experiences, especially when you get to different countries and different cultures. Like there's just so many new things to experience. And I don't know if I'm a foodie, but I sure do really enjoy me some good food. You're I will have a foodette. A foodette, yeah. Don't call me a foodette. <laughs> a foodinista. Dude. <laughs> I will say though, there was one time uh, we were in Australia and I I just didn't realize how big the portions were. And uh, long story short, like I had, there was like a lot of leftovers, which we ate most of them, but I was like, Oh, I'm not going to do that again. Like <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and overindulge to the point where I feel bad about, you know, wasting some of this food. But yeah, I mean, your minimalist principles, I mean, what are minimalist principles? It's, it's, it's about living within your means. It's about uh, you know, it's common sense stuff. Yeah. So just because I go to a different country, mm. I mean, sometimes I lose my common sense. I'm not perfect. Um, but I still carry that with me and, and, and it may be able to stick to that, um, pretty easily. Yeah. I, I mean, I, th this is just a, a rephrasing of what Josh already said, but for me, minimalism is about optimizing for what makes you come alive and then minimizing everything that gets in the way of that. 
And the answer to the question, what makes me come alive, is going to be subjective. It varies from person to person. There's no one right way to come alive. There's no one single correct way to live an adventure. And so for me, when I travel, I'm looking for opportunities to do things that don't characterize my normal way of living when I'm at home. So maybe when I'm at home, I wouldn't go eat at that restaurant, but because I'm on the road and that restaurant isn't at home becomes the precise reason for why I'm going to go there and maybe spend that money because I want to come home and say, hey, I did something cool and interesting that TK in his everyday life doesn't do. And so are you living by your minimalist principles? As long as your principles are there for no other reason than to support your preferences and your priorities, then of course the answer is yes. Let's dip into YouTube for a question. Here's a question from Melanie. She says, my two teen daughters and I fled domestic violence and had to leave so much behind. We're in a temporary home right now, but may have to continue relocate out of necessity. How can we affordably manage our belongings when constant travel is in the future? So I often think about things the wrong way. What do I mean by that? I often am looking for the permanent solution But of course, on a long enough timeline, everything is impermanent, right? Mm. Even the house that Bex and I bought earlier this year, like it's our forever home for now, Mm -hmm. right? Mm. Because I also reserve the right to walk away from anything and anybody at any time. Mm. And by reserving that right, it gives me that freedom. I'm no longer staying out of obligation. If I had to come to this podcast every Tuesday when we do the live streams and I just showed up out of obligation, even though I didn't want to be here, I'd feel one particular way about that. But if I get to be here, it's because I'm choosing to be here. If I'm saying, oh, there's nothing I'd rather be doing right now, and I can say that genuinely in this moment, there's nothing I would rather be doing. How freeing is that? It's because I haven't tethered myself to some sort of expectation of permanence. It doesn't mean that this podcast will go on forever. It obviously won't. I won't live in the house that I live in forever because eventually, even if I live there for the rest of my life, I will be gone, right? And so is this appropriate for me right now? And why do I bring this up for Melanie's question? Because it's a pretty deep question, right? But we often search for stability through permanence, And that's not how stability is found. Mm. Stability is found by one's ability to handle uncertainty. Mm. And you're at a place in your life right now where there is too much uncertainty. We all have a need for uncertainty, by the way. We call it variety, Mm -hmm. right? And we find the right amount of variety for us. And it's different for Ryan. It's different for TK. Ryan likes a lot more variety than I like. He likes to go surfing and snowboarding and skiing and waterboarding Mm -hmm. my favorite boarding (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he came over to my house this uh, past weekend and we were waterboarding him for hours it was great (laughs) Ella was having a grand time (laughs) (laughs) oh shoot man but what I what I've learned is that when you find the right amount of uncertainty it makes you uncomfortable that place of discomfort is the place from which you grow Mm. however when we are waterboarded with uncertainty, which is Mm. unfortunately where Melanie is right now. She has too much uncertainty in her life. And it's not just uncertainty for her. It sounds like she'd be able to deal with that uncertainty okay, but it's uncertainty for the people that she loves, she cares about, that she's responsible for, right? And so I wouldn't look for certainty in permanence, right? Mm. I would understand the things that I can control 
and focus on those things and then realize that the things I can't control, there will always be uncertainty there. I'm going to have to accept that. How do I accept that? By realizing what is controllable, what isn't controllable. Because when you're overwhelmed, everything feels uncontrollable. Mm. You say, I've tried everything. Well, no, I haven't actually. I've tried three or four different things. I've tried them repeatedly and it hasn't gotten me the result that I want. And so mm. by letting go of the things that are uncertain, but you have no control over, you actually paradoxically get a little bit of control over the things that you have the ability to change. Yeah. Mm. Melanie, I, uh, I really feel like your situation. I mean, um, I, you know, I was raised in a domestic violent household for many years and I wish my mom would have picked me up and left. So I want to applaud you for like doing what you need to do for you and your kids to be safe. Um, I think about like the, anything we do in life has a cost and we have to be very clear on if we're willing or not to pay that price. And right now the price that Melanie has to pay is, is getting rid of her things and leaving those things behind. And, you know, maybe her and her kids, maybe all they have each is a backpack. And that is the cost of leaving that situation. This isn't a permanent situation. This is a temporary situation. Um, but you know, what I'll say is, Melanie, I don't know how long you've been, you know, in this shelter. If it's only been a week, give it a couple more weeks. You're going to start to realize that the freedom from being from that domestic household, like being out of that is, is, is the best reward you can get. Like you might get to a point where you would pay anything to get out of that, out of that situation. And you know, what I'll say is like when you and I were traveling in 2014 with just that one bag, it was a little difficult at first, maybe. I mean, I jumped into it because we're the minimalists. It was an experiment, but I really felt freedom from not having all that stuff weigh me down. And Melanie, I think you'll get to that point. And the beautiful thing is, is once you find somewhere stable, then you'll slowly be able to bring some of these things back into your life. So um, yeah, this is a season that you're in right now and it's a little bit difficult and you got to weather some of these storms. But uh, yeah, I just want to applaud you for taking the right step and moving in a different direction. Yeah, I'll second that. Um, big applause for taking the right step and having the courage to get out of that situation and do what's best for you and your family. I, I think sometimes it's best to set these really big goals so that you can challenge yourself to be more ambitious and to grow. But sometimes it's best to set modest goals so that you can build momentum and stay adaptable. Uh, Josh gave a really good example of this with the books when you said uh, you used to take maybe four books with you. But when you take those four books, books with you on the road, you never get around to actually reading them. And over time, that can become very demoralizing and it can eat away at your self-confidence because you are gradually becoming to yourself the kind of person who doesn't have the power to do what he says he's going to do. And it's very easy to move from that to never reading at all. But when you said, I'm going to set a modest goal and just bring one book, the successes that you get over and over again, build self-confidence and you become more likely to read even more books. And I think in this situation, if you treat it like, all right, Maybe this will be the chance where I can get back to some normalcy. And so I'm going to buy things that will hopefully be permanent. And then you get disrupted again. That keeps happening to you. It just gets demoralizing. I think the best thing here is to just accept I am in a period of life where things are going to get disrupted 
And I and when I make purchases, I'm not just going to think about those purchases in terms of how much they cost me, but also in terms of how long I can reasonably expect to be able to use them and start optimizing for just thinking about your life in terms of three-month periods and factor in the disruption. You both bring up a really good point. Ryan, your point about traveling with way less was really freeing, ultimately. It was scary at first. There was a lot of uncertainty in that. And then the converse, the obverse side of of the coin is what TK is talking about with buying things, thinking that's going to give us certainty, actually often takes away a piece of our freedom. Mm. Amassing more things can get in the way of our freedom, which does what? Increases our uncertainty, gives us the very thing that we we're trying to escape. We're trying to escape the uncertainty through accumulating things that make us certain and it actually makes us less certain about our situation. So knowing that you can get by without the excess stuff. You can get by with very little, especially for this season right now. Stability is not found in your material possessions. We all know this intellectually, but that's the problem. We know it only intellectually. But if you can experience it in your heart, in your viscera, you know that I don't need things to be happy, complete, or certain, then you can let go of the desire to grasp for more as you find your footing on more stable ground. Mm. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your questions from TikTok. That's right. You can follow The Minimalist on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalist. Now, during the lightning round, TK, this is where we each have 60 seconds to answer your questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We call them minimal maxims. We put these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media. You can find all of those show notes over at theminimalists.com slash podcast, or we deliver them right to your inbox as well. If you go to theminimalists.com, just give us your email address. We'll never send you spam. We'll never send you junk. We'll never send you advertisements because advertisements suck, but we will send you our weekly show notes and our simple newsletter each week as well. We have a question here from TikTok. Coyote Swap has something for us. How do I get over the FOMO with new experiences? I don't want to feel like I'll waste my time or money if I don't end up enjoying a trip or an activity. Let's throw 60 seconds on the clock for Ryan Nicodemus. The Greek freak himself. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Let's go. All right. uh, Here's my pithy answer for you. Living in the moment is the antidote to the fear of missing out. And if you want to make that a little bit more pithier, you could say, Limo kills FOMO. So here's the thing (laughs) is when you decide to do something, you're doing that one thing and you're missing out on everything else. And if you are sitting there torturing yourself, thinking about all the things you're missing out on, then you're missing where you are in that moment. I love the fact that we are joyous already. You are joyous where you are right now and you can bring that joy wherever you go. And if you choose to live in the moment with that joy, well, then you won't be missing out on anything. Oh, he did it in under a minute, TK. Man. Nice. Let's see what you got. You can have my All 18 right. seconds. <laughs> oh, that's like freestyle here, son. You can have my extra 18 seconds. <laughs> Dang. My drop. And he just used it. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it. It was worth it. All right. Um, every destination is desirable, 
when decision-making is a process of discovery. The process of making choices is not a school test where you have to prove to someone how smart you are or where you have to give the one correct answer. The purpose of making a choice is to create experiences that lead to the discovery of new possibilities and to the discovery of interesting things about yourself that ultimately move you closer to putting together life the way you want to live it. Ah, oh, that doesn't make sense, TK. I'm trying to make decisions because I want to make money. Your decision theory doesn't work for me because what does discovering something new have to do with making money? Well, wouldn't it benefit you if you knew how to make more money? Yeah, of course it would. So what if you made decisions that didn't come with the pressure of this has to profit me right away and you made decisions with the mindset of I just need to learn something that's gonna move me a step closer to my goals. When you make decisions that way, it's stress-free. Ooh, TK Coleman. What was my time? Yeah. One, one minute, two seconds. Thank God you had my extra time. <laughs> <laughs> you almost got the buzzard. Here, Josh, you can have my 16. <laughs> <laughs> that's why here Josh let me take two of yours <laughs> you know what uh, let's talk about the fear of missing out mm. what is the fear of missing out it's really just worrying mm-hmm. what is a worrier a worrier is a person who concerns themselves with outcomes that are outside their control so sometimes I'll get concerned about something that's within my control. That concern is really useful because it allows me to go one direction or another to avoid a terrible outcome, right? But there are other things that are outside of my control that I can't do anything about except worry about those things. And the more I worry about them, the greater my fear. I start fearing everything. And so if you want to avoid the fear of missing out... It's about understanding what is within your control. You can't do everything. And so what you can control is what you do right now. What is within your area of concern? And if you understand that, you can let go of the worry altogether. 59.48. Woo! That brother is efficient. Let's check in with our Patreon live stream here in a second. But first, real quick, for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. Actually, I got two things for you. One is the this new YouTube series that Professor Sean and I have been working on. It's called Terrible Words. And the tagline is, don't use these words in your writing. (laughs) And so if anyone who is an aspiring writer wants some free writing tips, uh, How to Write Better has a channel. You can find it at youtube.com slash how to write better. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And you can check out the four videos in this new Terrible Words series, where I just give you a four-minute lesson about certain words that you might not want to use in your writing and why you don't want to use those and how you can use a different kind of word to radically improve your writing. Is Is it four words for four videos? Yes. Oh, okay. I was going to ask for one of the words, but no spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers. You have to check out the whole the whole series. All right. Is it there be- a Charles Barkley voiceover? That's a terrible word. <laughs> there could be. Oh now. man, I didn't realize Charles Barkley was in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing uh, to mention real quick is our added value segment. We're moving that over to the private podcast just because we're doing something a little bit different now. So this is for our right here, right now segment. We've been doing a lot more about physical goods. Uh, This week, in fact, we have three travel items that I will never travel without. 
And so we'll talk about that on the private podcast. You can check that out during the added value segment at the end of that. Let's check in with the Patreon live stream. Malabama, who has a question for us? Here's a question from Lindsay. She says, I visit my family a few times a year and often pay for meals and go shopping while I'm there. How do I make a budget for this? Would this go under my normal food budget? Gifts, because I'm paying for my family's whole dinner, or bundle it just as vacations? Mm. So I keep a monthly budget, Mariah and I do. Mm -hmm. And for things like this, like if I buy someone uh, some coffee Mm -hmm. or uh, buy them a meal Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, I'd usually put it under gift giving. Mm. But, you know, here's a little here's a little trick to the budget. You always I always have a little wiggle room with a little miscellaneous category for these unexpected expenses or these not normal expenses. So if I have money in the gift giving, I'll put them in there. If not, I'm if I'm out. I got that miscellaneous to kind of get my back. But uh, those are those are my those are my two categories that I, I keep in there that I would feel totally fine putting either of those expenses under. Personally, I put it under travel. Uh, yeah. But I think the key, what you're saying is, whatever you put it under, keep it there as part of your budget. Mm-hmm. The budgeting has some rigidity built into it so you're not living beyond your means. Exactly. And if I am out of money on either of those categories, then guess what? It's not in the budget. I had someone reach out to me um, via email, very kind person. Hey, man, come to this conference. You know, it's like an $800 ticket. We'll, you know, uh, you and your wife can come and we'll give you free tickets. Da 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 da. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, um, be happy to come down there. Um, is there any, are you like including hotel and stuff with this? Cause, uh, really not in the budget right now. Nope. Unfortunately, uh, you know, it's just the ticket. I'm like, okay, great. Generous offer, but that's not in our travel budget right now. So we won't be able to attend. I like that. Good for your budget, not for mine. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. All right. Before we get to our listener <laughs> tips today, coming up on the maximal episode this week, we have a million more questions from callers, social media, and the live stream, a private minimalist home tour. We've got our obsolete object segment and everyone's favorite TK's tweet of the week yes, and much, much more <laughs> of less. If you want to hear all that, check out The Minimalist private podcast at patreon.com slash The Minimalist or click the link in the description. Malabama, what else you got for us? Here are some minimalist comments and insights from our listeners. Hi, my name's Emma. Um, I'm from Fresno, California. I just wanted to leave a comment for listeners. Um, when I tried to do minimalism, I noticed that as a woman, I had so many products um, as far as makeup, lotions, perfumes, makeup remover, um, and just a lot of bathroom products. So I looked into more natural ways to get more function out of products. And I went ahead and switched over to using coconut oil. Um, which can be used to, for basically any products that I had, I was able to replace it with coconut oil. And um, I went ahead and just threw away a bunch of the products I had. And it really minimized um, the amount of clutter I had under my sink in my bathroom, which was really freeing. So just wanted to share that tip. Thanks. Hi, my name is Nakia, and I am from Nebraska. In listening to the spouses episode, it really got my mind wandering of some guilt that I had been holding on to. My husband, um, when we were dating, I got rid of some of his uh, things, such as a Packers uh, poster, and I got rid of some golfing things and some bowling things. And we don't live in a house where there's room for a man cave or a she shed. But 
I really just decided that, um, and with the help of myself, we talked about it and we decided that we don't need a space in our home that is dedicated to things that we wish we would be doing. So we have pledged to each other that instead of deciding that we want to hang Brett Favre on our wall, we're my husband is more than welcome to go watch a Packers game or maybe someday we'll get to go um, instead of having Phil Mickelson up on our wall or having a glove with his name on it. We can just go ahead and he can go golfing or perhaps get to go to one of our, one of his things that he does in golf. So um, that's just my suggestion just to, just to go and do the things versus surrounding yourself with the things that you wish you would be doing. Welcome back to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Oh, we got so much more to talk about today. I don't know where to start, Ryan. We could do some more about less. We got a little fun segment there. We're going to travel back to our hometown, hmm. Dayton, Ohio. Before we do that, let's check in with the live stream again. Mal Alabama, do we have any questions in the live stream? We sure do. Here's a question from Kado. How do you deal with traveling with others when they have champagne taste and you are more budget conscious? <laughs> champagne taste on a natty light budget. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Man, I, I'm so lucky to have a partner who like she... I have to like... I had to talk her into buying new socks. Like, <laughs> I'm so lucky. I Yeah, I, Josh, thoughts? <laughs> I do have some thoughts. I wouldn't travel with those people. If yeah. I if I'm if I'm being asked because here's what we do. We, we could take it to the terminus here. You can only be in our club if you own a Ferrari. Mm. Okay, well then I won't be in your club. Yeah. And if you require me to have Ferrari-like travel expenses, I don't want to be a part of that club. And maybe I enjoy you as a person, but I don't want to have shoulder the burden of going into debt or living beyond my means or put simply, maybe there's just a better use of this money. Yeah. And if I have a better use for this money, I'm not going to spend it on a frivolous vacation. I would rather allocate it here. And so how do I do that in a compassionate way? Oh, it's simply not in the budget. Oh, but you, come on, you make enough money. I know I do, but here's what I'm spending that money on. Mm -hmm. And that's all you have to say. By the way, you don't even have to go that far to explain yourself. Yeah. But a solid explanation requires no more than that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my attitude towards that is you will not finance your interest on my budget. You're entitled to have whatever you're willing to create, whatever you're willing to pay for. And I will sit next to you all day long if you're having a glass of champagne that you chose to pay for. Mm. But we're not financing your taste on my budget, right? And and sometimes you can just put that back on other people by giving them the how can I versus can I question. So if someone says, hey, can I get a bottle of champagne? Sure you can. How are you going to make that happen? Mm. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, and you know, I, I do recall a couple of times where Mariah and I were traveling with some other folks, uh, met them in a different country. They're going somewhere like a nice restaurant. And I was like, you know what? We, it's not in the budget for us. Have a great time. We'll see when you get back. And there was no uncomfortableness when they came back or anything. It was, they totally understood and respected us. And that is probably more important than figuring out how to buy the champagne. It's have people around you that are going to support your decisions. And hey, you know what? That's the kind of thing, though, that will make people, even the ones who have expensive tastes, appreciate you 
We get so many questions mm. like, hey, how do I inspire people with minimalism? Well, that's a pretty damn inspiring thing. Oh, I promised my mom I would stop doing that. That's a pretty inspiring thing when someone is into something that you're not into and they can experience you as the kind of person who says, go ahead, be free to enjoy whatever you enjoy. I'm not going to condemn you. You can do it. Be mm. you. Well, is, your love, mom, is your mom a patron? No. Oh. <laughs> but, she'll, but she'll find it, you bro. You can cuss she'll, all you want. It, it'll make its her way to her. Burning. It'll get to her some kind of way. Yeah, she has a uh, Finsta account that she logs into <laughs> Patreon and checks out our, our private podcast. Let me just sum up what both of you guys said here with respect to the champagne tastes or the extravagant travel expenses or just being with someone who has a different taste from you. What you did there, Ryan, you didn't demonize your friends who wanted to go to an expensive restaurant. I supported them. Exactly. And TK is not demonizing someone who wants to drink champagne. Mm -mm. He's saying, hey, that's great for you. And for whatever reason, whether it's budgetary or just my preferences, I'm not going to indulge in that. And so you can say no without demonizing the other person, without making them wrong in order to appease my own self-righteousness. I can say no to the thing that you're doing without saying no to you as a human being. Mm. Let's move on to more about less. A little segment that we do where we read something as a jump off point for discussion. Ryan, let's get in a airplane, which was invented in Dayton, Ohio. I don't know, man. North Carolina really likes to claim that. Well, <laughs> I can tell you what address. It was invented at 7 Hawthorne Street on the west side of Dayton. Mm -hmm. And here are 13 things from the Dayton Daily News that were invented in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, wow. 12 of which you probably didn't know about. Okay. Huh. And so we're just kind of a little fun with this discussion. We're traveling back to our hometown, one of our favorite cities in the world, Dayton, Ohio. Isn't that funny, dude? Like, because it's our hometown, that's why we love it so much. Yes. And we know all the little hidden spots in Dayton, Ohio, mm -hmm. where if someone was just passing through, they would just see it as like, a little Detroit, which actually used to be its its nickname. That's right. And see, I know nothing about Detroit, so I, I that's why I use Detroit as like kind of a, a a bland, like kind of Midwest city. But if I live there, I'm sure like it'd be my favorite city. That's right. Yeah. And I also think that you can find that no matter where you go. So yes. I've been to a few places over the last decade or so that I've really enjoyed. You wouldn't think about. Like these cities are really slept on, like St. Petersburg, Florida, mm -hmm. which is where you and I opened a coffee shop with our friends, the Weavers, uh, Bandit Coffee down there, or Fargo, North Dakota. Who would ever think about? But as soon as you learn the community, you get embedded in that community and you see a different side of the city, of the people, of the restaurants, of the coffee shops. And all of a sudden you're embedded here where when you and I just drove through Fargo, it was like, all right, I guess we'll stop at Starbucks. Right. And it's a totally different experience when mm -hmm. you're embedded in a community. Tucson, Arizona is another one. It just had that magical feeling to me. Boise, Idaho, the first time we went there in 2012 on tour, right? Mm -hmm. And there are all these little cities. Now, of course, you know about the big ones. You know about Miami and Los Angeles and New York City and Chicago. Everyone knows about these cities. And they're well known for their tourism because they provide this space for tourists. But there are all these other places like Dayton, Ohio, like Youngstown, where Professor Sean is from. Uh, Jordan is from Phoenix. There's nothing really redeemable about Phoenix. <laughs> we can all agree Phoenix, Phoenix is just uh, 
Oh, sorry, Jordan. <laughs> Chicago's obviously good. Yeah. Obviously. And it would be my favorite city even if, even if I wasn't born there, but I'm just lucky enough to have been born there. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it is a great city. I don't. I want to know how their seafood is so amazing because they're not near any ocean. Nope. But their seafood is better than like LA seafood and the ocean's right there. Yeah, they, they have a great culinary scene in, in Chicago. Anyway, right, anyway, back to the article here. Here are 13 things that you didn't know were invented in Dayton, Ohio. Number one, the stepladder. Really? What? Yes. Oh, by Mr. Stepladder himself. <laughs> hey, but you know what? I could see you being the guy to invent that. I could see you being like so no, type A about tall. stuff. These are thirteen. These it. are thirteen things that Joshua Fields Milburn invented in Dayton, Ohio, that you didn't know about. Bama, that's exactly why he created it because he gets so annoyed at other people can you for reach being inefficient with hey, reaching jo- at things. He's like, I'm just gonna build you, you a stuff. Like. Right. Oh shoot! Uh, so it's weird. There's a step ladder <laughs> as opposed to a biological ladder. <laughs> <laughs> Number two is the cash register. Oh, yeah. Ching. NCR was there. Cha-ching. Dayton is winning. Ching. And now why is third on the list the airplane? Wouldn't you lead with the airplane? I mean, I would, but we didn't write the article. What the- about the circus peanut? <laughs> <laughs> is that on the list? Uh, that just barely missed the list. <laughs> now, so just really so was invented in Dayton, Ohio, though. In the early 20th century, late 19th century, Dayton was the invention capital of the world. There were more yeah. patents there, and I think there are still more patents per capita there than any other city wow. in the world. Uh, the next uh, one is the first engine starting device. Every time you get in your car every day, you can thank Dayton, Ohio. You're welcome. Mm. <laughs> Basically, it's Ryan's fault that your car starts. <laughs> the backpack parachute. Oh, as, well, as opposed to what other kind of parachute? Oh, I don't know. The parachute pants? MC Hammer? If it's those. I didn't realize that was, those were actual parachutes. <laughs> Number six is Freon coolant. You're just going to buy me a pair of parachute pants. But here, Ryan, jump off the roof. T- test them out. <laughs> yes. uh, he was doing it wrong. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So Freon, which who knows how toxic that is. Uh, mm. uh, maybe it's great. Who knows? But uh, Freon coolant. The Huffy Radio Bike. This is hyper-specific. Not like the bicycle. The Huffy Radio. What is it? It's the, a bicycle with a radio on it. Okay, now. That's... All right. <laughs> I think the Circus Peanut should have taken that, <laughs> that Huffy Radio Bike. place. I do well place. on Venice Beach where people always riding their bikes bumping the radio. Yeah, but I mean... It's like Ryan invented a pigeon with headphones stapled to it. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been looking at my journal? (laughs) My invention journal. Leonardo Dove, and she. Oh (laughs) man, that's so bad. Man, you're picking on me this podcast. (laughs) Number eight is something. I know it's out of love. The ice cube tray with the quick release lever. Oh, because we. We all know that ice was such a pain in the butt before. <laughs> we couldn't get it out of the tray fast enough. We had to make a, yes, quick release ice cube tray. <laughs> Number nine is the pop top for your soda cans. So if you're drinking a LaCroix or a Liquid Death, ah. which is the main sponsor of this podcast. Oh my God. Isn't that funny how like they had to create a water that made it look like you were drinking alcohol. <laughs> so we went to um, uh, the 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 haunted house that Mallory was um, this gruesome monster in. Thank you. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I can put a picture of it in the 
in the show notes. I, I don't know. You let me know, Josh. But anyway, um, they had the liquid death. And it is funny, though. Like, first off, the water's fine. Like, it tastes fine. It's, 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 it's like water. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's totally <laughs> cool. But there is something because like Mariah and, I, Mariah and I aren't drinking right now. And uh, so I was just drinking water. But there is something about holding in that can where you're like, I'm cool. I'm fitting in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Use uh, promo code. <laughs> Use promo code. Josh's stinky feet. And it's, that's, that's a, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, no spaces. <laughs> no spaces. Josh's stinky feet 202. <laughs> yeah. Josh's stinky feet 30. <laughs> For 30% off. Liquid death. No, no uh, we don't do any sponsorships, obviously. Uh, but if you drink a Coca-Cola or anything out of a pop-top can, you can thank Ryan Nicodemus. Never heard of the entire city of Dayton, Ohio. (laughs) All right. Now, this is one that the New World Order will be thankful for. (laughs) The barcode was invented in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, really? Yes. So that barcode tattoo that we made you get, each of you who are working in the studio... It uh, you can thank Dayton, Ohio, and the minimalists. I know they're mad at us because like QR codes are cool now, and we made them get a barcode. So I'm, I'm yeah. going to be keeping my eye out for any powerful political figure that comes out of Dayton. <laughs> <laughs> I want everybody with barcodes on their forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Number eleven is the LCD display, which is out of date at this point, but uh, you can thank Dayton, Ohio, for that. God. You remember how expensive TVs used to be? Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I yeah. remember the first LCD I bought was like a four inch LCD. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like $976. Oh, that's obnoxious. <laughs> we uh, we have two more items here from Dayton, Ohio. The Cheez-It. Mm. Straight up? Yeah. No way. Wow. I believe it. Straight out of Dayton. <laughs> Straight out of Dayton. Some call it Ladies the and gentlemen, it. the Cheez-It. <laughs> what Number else? One. And I, boom, 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 boom. I buried the lead here. Of course, the greatest item to ever come out of Dayton, Ohio. Can we get a sound effect from Alabama? There's a dying pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> that can't hear itself because it's got the headphones. Hey, someone get rid of that pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> the number one item to ever come out of Dayton, Ohio is, of course, the Trapper Keeper. Oh my goodness. Wait, what is that? What? Oh man, TK, I thought you were like my age. <laughs> you don't remember the Trapper Keeper? No. Remember they used to have like pictures of like Lamborghinis in? on it and like you know, like holds like it's just it's a three hole punch holder that we used to have in elementary school. Jordan in post production, you're gonna have Wait, to get a picture of a trapper goodness, keeper now yeah. and put it right here above <laughs> my left shoulder. Wait, like a three right ring here. Binder? This is a trapper keeper. It's a three ring binder, but it's more. Yes. It has cool pictures <laughs> on the front of it. You could get unicorns. You can get Lamborghinis. Mine had a Lamborghini. Mine did too. Right. I probably would recognize it if I see it. A Lamborghini Countach. Yes. Right. And this is why we're best friends. Here's what I'll tell you, TK. It is like a three ring binder, but more complicated, more <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> There's a Velcro on it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, y'all always be calling me privileged. That sounds like y'all went to the good schools. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shoot. Trapper keepers were basically a weapon or a shield that we would use. Yes. Oh, mm. we would use it for everything except for any, it never was functional Ooh. for schoolwork. Bulletproof trapper keeper, patent pending. <laughs> oh, <laughs> too oh, <my>. soon. <laughs> well, dude, you know they're making the bulletproof backpacks. That's it's crazy. Wild. I know. Oh it's a, it's a different podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about some talk aboutables, y'all. Huh. We got a talk aboutable segment today. 
I want to discuss with you this theory that I've come up with. I call it consumerism, but it's the layer cake of consumerism. Mm. So I want to talk to you guys about the layer cake of consumerism. Because when we talk about consumerism, what are we usually talking about? The first layer of consumerism, material possessions. I call that traditional consumerism. But if we're building a cake on top of that, we often get past the traditional consumerism, and then we just turn into consumers, consumerists of other types of consumerism. There's pleasure consumerism, Mm. gluttony, dopamine spikes from food and sex and drugs and entertainment. Nothing wrong with those things, but when it becomes that pursuit that will complete us, it becomes a problem. The next layer is success consumerism. Okay, the things aren't working for me. You know what? The pleasures aren't working for me anymore. I need more, more, more. What do I need more of? Oh, I need more success. Is that why you bought that Bentley? (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Josh does not own a Bentley. And so the career consumerism, or it can be achievement consumerism, pride consumerism, all goes under success consumerism, Mm. right? So what we do is we pursue the things that didn't make me happy. Oh, you know what will make me happy? More pleasure more pleasurable pursuits, more sex, more drugs, more alcohol, more entertainment, more food. It's gluttony. And for a while, it gives us the pleasure. We mistake that pleasure for long-lasting bliss or tranquility or peace. But of course, it disrupts our peace. Then we move to success consumerism. If I have the right achievements, the right career, the right job title, the right accomplishments, I win the correct awards, then I'll be complete. That doesn't work either. So we move up to the next rung of the layer cake, the next layer on the layer cake. It's experience consumerism. And that's what we've been talking about today on the private podcast, intentional travel and all the different ways to travel intentionally. That allows us to experience a place without consuming the place. Because it's easy to, okay, I've shed the success consumerism. I've shed the pleasure consumerism. I've shed the material possessions, traditional consumerism. And now I'm just going to experience the wanderlust of travel. I'm going to consume every place I go to. And that doesn't make us complete either. Mm. If we show up incomplete, no place that we travel to will ever complete us. And I think the top layer of this layer cake of consumerism is what I would call spiritual consumerism. Some people might call it religious consumerism or God consumerism. We're trying to make ourselves complete by testing out all of these different religions. There's nothing wrong with the knowledge or the wisdom from these ancient traditions. In fact, that wisdom can be really useful in our lives. But when we think I'm going to complete myself by finding just the right religion. I'm going to shun this one that I was a part of so I can go join this one. It doesn't complete us either. In fact, it often leaves us feeling empty, just like all of these other layers in the layer cake of consumerism. So what is the antidote to this? It's letting go of the pursuit of completeness. Because there's nothing wrong with material possessions. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. Pleasure is a wonderful byproduct. Material possessions are great If they enhance our lives, augment our lives, amplify our lives, magnify our lives, there's nothing wrong with success unless it's making you miserable. A miserable, successful person is a failure. There's nothing wrong with experiences, with traveling. Traveling can be wonderful, but if you think it's going to complete you as a person, 
It's going to only incomplete you. And of course, the same thing is true with any spiritual practice, spiritual journey. If you show up to that complete and you gain some new wisdom from it, then that will also amplify your life. But if you rely on any of these things to complete you, you will continue to walk away incompleted. Man, it's interesting because... Like just thinking about being raised as Jehovah's Witness, they would tell you it's impossible to be complete without, you know, their guidance and their their beliefs and their values. And um, man, yeah, there's something in me that's like I want to fight what you just said, but it's true. It's like we, unfortunately, we do look to, um, yeah, these spiritual aspects to complete us. But if we show up completed, man, how much more powerful is that? I saw this meme the other day. It was like. Um, it was a, a picture, uh, it was commentary on a meme and, uh, someone retweeted it and the meme said, uh, 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 Satan teaches you to believe in yourself instead of God. And the commentary was, man, I know this is against Satan, but it actually makes him sound kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like he's a motivational speaker. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. What do you have to say, TK, about this consumerist layer cake, the layer cake of consumerism? Yeah, I I think at the heart of what you're saying here is that consumerism isn't about what you consume. It's about how you go about it. And anything can be the object of addiction if your relationship to it is unhealthy. Mm. Religion and spirituality is no exception. One of the things I've always believed is that Selling your soul isn't just limited to things like giving up your artistic dreams for the sake of money. You can sell your soul for noble things as well. Mm. You can sell your soul by going the other way around. You can sell your soul by leaving behind a career in accounting. You can sell your soul through practicing a religion, not because of the thing itself, but because of the mindset behind it. Anything that you do can be done in a way that's unhealthy. And so there's something very dangerous about thinking, hey, because I am in a religious environment or because I am doing something that is outwardly dignified, I don't have to think critically anymore. I don't have to live mindfully anymore. I can turn my brain off. You know, I can check my Mm -hmm. critical thinking in at the door and I can just outsource everything to this person or that institution or this practice. No, you've always got to bring your heart and your mind with you in whatever you do or else you'll become a slave to something, Mm. you know, outside of yourself. That's not healthy. Man, that's so true. It's like, you know, I, I felt like, uh, when I was being a good J-dub, um, as long as I was following their rules, I could do whatever I wanted and I could, you know, throw my hands in the air and be like, well, I'm, I'm doing all these things according to, you know, what, what they say is right and wrong. I'm doing what's right. Yeah, exactly. And um, it made me do some wrong things, mm. like when I look back. And it, it is, it's almost like it's a, sometimes it can be a mechanism for not doing things mindfully. Yeah. Yeah, Dave, David Foster Wallace said that the reason that people often pursue spirituality or God is that anything else you worship will eat you alive. So if you worship your things, that's going to eat you alive. If you worship success and achievement and pride and trophies, it will eat you alive. If you worship pleasure and hedonism, it will eat you alive. Mm. 
If you worship experiences and travel as though that's your God, it will eat you alive. I think the top layer of the layer cake of consumerism is that will also eat you alive. If you are worshiping how righteous and spiritual you are compared to everyone else, that will also eat you alive. Oh, sorry. No, go for it, TK. I was going to say there is nothing less saint-like than the preoccupation with being thought of as a saint. Oh, yeah. mm, I love that. You know, uh, well, what I was going to say is like what you just said made me think and correct me where I'm wrong. Um, I'm wrong a lot. And Josh always lets me know. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> um it's almost a case against worshiping anything. It's like once we start to worship something, um, I don't know. It's like it's almost uh, it's the beginning of our demise in a way from kind of how you were wording it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's certainly worth exploring. Let me think about that. Yeah. I mean, because I don't think we worship minimalism. No. I mean, we take it seriously, but not that seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. It depends on what one means by worship. But yeah. If I worship anything, it's the moment, it's the now. Yeah. And, uh, but even then, if you could take that to its terminus where you're living only in the now and you never have enough rigidity to plan a little bit for the future, or you refuse to glance in the rear view to learn the lessons from the past, that can be detrimental to you as well. Yeah. Hmm. Alabama, I just checked my watch. Do you have any idea what time it is? I have a rough idea. It is time for TK Street of the Week. TK, you sent me a tweet from Brandon Marsh. You want to talk about what it says here? Indeed. Down with the U.S. government. <laughs> Thoughts? Why, why do people love government so much? Can you guys explain? <laughs> See, now somebody just turned off right there because they're like, I'm just tired of this guy's anti-government tweet and they don't even get to see. <laughs> oh, shoot. All right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to steal your thunder. We'll put a link to this tweet in the show notes. It's from Brandon Marsh and it says what, TK? I just saw a post I didn't agree with. I didn't get offended. I didn't comment. I didn't feel the need to change their mind. I still like the person. I just kept scrolling and went on with my day. Mm. Can we, let me, let me get that this real great. quick. That's great, man. This is great because here's the thing. I was talking to Ella about this, my daughter, about it last night. And she was like, well, why do so many people get so mad on the internet? Yeah. And I said, well, be, people have always been the same level of upset, right? Last week, TK, you and I were watching In Living Color together <laughs> here in the studio. And I've heard Damon Wayne say, if someone asked him, like, hey, did, was there outrage? Or, he goes, oh, I don't know. People were outraged over In Living Color back then. But what, what did you have to do? You had to get out your typewriter, mm. type up a letter, get an envelope out, fold the letter appropriately, put the envelope in the the or put the letter in the envelope. And then you had to drive to the post office, purchase a stamp, adhere the stamp. You had to lick the stamp, put it on the envelope, seal up the envelope. And then you give it, you walk outside, put it in the post box. And then someone has to pick up the letter. And maybe two weeks later, that letter arrives at NBC Studios. And Keenan isn't seeing it. It's some executive or actually some person mm-hmm. in the mailroom. Producer. For, yeah, yeah mailroom person who sorts through these things. Yeah. 
and it essentially gets thrown out. People wow. were upset. They were outraged, but there was so much more friction back then. And as soon as we all had the ability to pull out our megaphone and instantly respond without any friction, it created a bit of an echo chamber. And this is the mm. antidote to that. I just saw a post I didn't agree with. Mm. I didn't get offended. Okay. Well, what does that say? Being offended is my choice. You don't have the power to offend me unless I give you that power to offend me. I didn't comment. Oh, that one's difficult because I have that ability to comment right now. Would Here's my, my rule for what I comment. Would I break out a typewriter and write a letter about this? Mm. And if so, then yeah, maybe it does make sense to comment. But then mm. I'm still not going to write it on Instagram or on YouTube. I'll write it in an Apple note. I'll refine it. And then I'll add that comment if I feel like it adds value in some way. Dude, there was like a certain point where um, I was getting upset about some political stuff. And I really wanted to use my megaphone. to, But I resisted because... I could, I'm yelling in a, in an empty room base. No one's really listening, but I'll tell you, like the more I resisted, like the easier it was to like, not have the urge to use that megaphone to the point now where like, I have no urge to use that megaphone. Right. Because what you've realized is the reason you have the megaphone has nothing to do with those things that outrage you. Right. And I think that's important. Mm to understand with great power comes great responsibility, right? And you have great power because you have a megaphone where you can reach out to literally millions of people and you can shape their hearts and minds. But with that responsibility is like, if you steer people in the wrong direction, now all of a sudden you've lost their trust when it comes to something that you actually do want to send out to them. So yeah. you want to send out to the world. And it's interesting because I feel like for the most part, I'm sure there's something that someone could point out, but it's like we teach people like the things in our life that we've learned how to love, not like the things that we've renounced or the things that we hate. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you can put consumerism in there, but I don't hate consumerism. Right. It's just something that I don't partake in. You see it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And so in a way you love consumerism. Sure. But you just, you don't like it very much at all. Right. But but you know what I'm uh, uh, was it Juliet Shore who talked about how we're really not consumerist enough in the actual definition materialistic materialistic yeah mm. but it's like now I am I appreciate my things more than before because the things I have in my life truly add value right and yeah. without needing to cling to them yeah. speaking of clinging this is the most difficult part I think I didn't feel the need to change their mind he said and that is what love is I don't need to change you. I don't need to improve you. I don't need to better you. I don't need to make you something you aren't. I don't mm. need you to have my same opinion. I don't need to pull you up on my pedestal with me. Mm -hmm. Instead, why don't I just get off this damn pedestal? And then he ends the tweet by saying, I still like the person. Mm. I just kept scrolling and went on with my day. Yeah, man. It's great. That is powerful. You, you make a good point, Josh, that once upon a time, the expression of outrage was a costly signal because it, it wasn't enough to just be angry at something. You had to make an investment. You had to write a letter, go to the post office, send it out. And so you knew that the people who were expressing outrage were serious about what they felt. Whereas now the cost of expressing outrage is so cheap and the rewards of it are so high because outrage yeah. is still a pretty tricky signal for virtue, example, imagine a problem. Imagine three observers to the problem. 
Observer one is crying and shaking. Observer two is angry and yelling. Observer three appears calm and detached. Which one of those three people is most committed to solving the problem? Mm -hmm. The real answer is, based on that information, we simply don't know because the observation of an emotional response is not an indicator of one's commitment to actually doing something about the problem. However, this is tricky because when you have a strong emotional response, you look like you care more than the person who doesn't. If something bad happens and one person's crying and you're sitting next to them not reacting at all, it looks like you don't care and it looks like they do, but you might actually be the one who does something about it. And so we live in this world where it's so easy to make it look like we care that we can even fool ourselves about our own level of commitment. We can go online and compensate for the lack of activity in our lives, for the lack of influence we're really exercising in the world by telling someone, you're the reason why the, the Democrats are winning. You're the reason why the Republicans are winning. You're the reason why these religious people are trashing the world. You're the reason why atheists are corrupting my kids. And how much of that anger it's actually doing something about the thing that you think is a problem. Oh, but it feels so righteous. Yeah, don't confuse, don't confuse your anger with action. Don't confuse your emotions with energy used to solve the problem. In fact, these things can often become roadblocks when we instantly become outraged at everything. It's not productive. Mm. And anger by itself is simply data. And if you feel that anger, it's a bit different from rage. When we're talking about rage or outrage that we see online, that is an expression of one's anger. Now, you can feel anger and you can hold on to it for a moment, witness it, and you can let it go. And then you can actually do something about the thing, if it's within your control, that made you angry in the first place. Or you can decide you know what? I'm outraged about this. I want everyone else to know that I'm outraged. I'm going to burn down Twitter today because I'm so pissed off. And then does that do anything? No, it just incites a digital forest fire that now everyone has become a victim of. You feel like a victim, but victims often become victimizers and mm -hmm. that harms everyone around them. Yeah. We have a little segment here called obsolete objects. We have three different segments we do here. We'll do one of them today, obsolete objects. We also have one called a master trash. So obsolete objects, a little segment that we do where you send in something that has become obsolete in your life, something you once used, maybe even got value from, but now it is obsolete to you. Another segment we do called a master trash where you send us something, you say, you know what? I'm struggling to let this thing go. Should I keep it? Should I mass it? Or should I get rid of it? Should I trash it? Also, we have a segment called impulse purchases. Let's say you're at the store or you're somewhere and you never thought about buying a thing, but now you, you're right there in the checkout line. Oh, yeah. I got to have it. I can't live without it. That's how my nine-year-old daughter often is. Mm. 30 seconds ago, she had no idea about that crystal stone that she wants to buy for mm. a ring. But now she couldn't possibly imagine a world that she exists without this thing on her finger, right? But of course, if we say, all right, let's wait a day, she never comes back to it. Mm. So you can send us your impulse purchases as well, something you're struggling with or something you saw that you thought was absurd. 
You can send us your obsolete objects. You can send us your master trash at questions. Podcast at theminimalists.com. Today, we have this from Chantel. So she sent in that formal wear to her has become obsolete just like any other possession. She says, I'm 38 years old, and for the most part, my peers are already through the wedding season of their lives. I don't find myself in situations more than once or twice a year where I actually wear fancy dresses. There's no purpose in taking up closet or budget space for fancy dresses that are seldom used. If such an occasion arises, there are many resources from which I can draw. I can borrow from a friend, use rent the run, rent the run. Oh my gosh, this is a tongue twister. Rent the runway.com, dress up an existing work dress with existing jewelry or heels that I already own, or visit a thrift store if it's necessary. It's allowed me to let go of everything I would not wear on a daily basis in my closet. Mm. Ryan, you did this too. I don't think you own a suit anymore. I don't. I have, um, I got a button up shirt that. I kept from when we we taped lesses now when I was corporate Ryan. Uh-huh. Um, and I kept a tie. And then I have those Mission Workshop pants. Are those jeans? What no. would you call those? Pants. Yeah, they're just like they're nice black pants. Um, and then I have like one, it's like a outdoor jacket, but but it's also like it's it's made from uh oh, I forget what company, but it's like an outdoor jacket, but it looks like a suit jacket. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why I have um, the jacket, the tie, and the shirt is there's every once in a blue moon, like right, like if I want to go to the Magic Castle, I have to wear a jacket and I have to wear a tie. Yeah. Um. So it is a just for when. Um. Also, I used to show up in weddings in like my zero shoes, <laughs> shorts, and t-shirt, and I realized that was I was letting the adolescent run my life at that point because it was like a screw you. I'm Ryan freaking Nicodemus. I'll wear whatever I want to your wedding. And if you don't want me to wear this at your wedding, then I guess I'm not coming to your wedding. I, there, there's a piece of me that that's so punk rock that I freaking love it. Yes. <laughs> me I mean, too. I was getting inspired when he said My adolescent is punk rock. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I agree with that. <laughs> but there's also a point where it's like, I realize that there are people I love and that I really want to support. And if I you know, show up and like me wearing a tie and a suit coat. Mm-hmm. It's not even a suit coat, but me showing up and wearing something that's a little nicer. Mm-hmm. Like that's actually supporting them. And it's a minimal burden. Exactly. Yeah. If they ask you to show up with a crown of of diamonds like Kendrick Lamar. Right. You'd say, well, no, that that, that is way too burdensome for me. Right. Yeah. And so you've decided there's a minimum threshold you're willing to fulfill. Mm -hmm. And I can respect that because I I don't think that they're they're not asking you for something that seems unreasonable to you. Now, it's not up to me to determine what is or isn't, what is or isn't reasonable to you. Right. There there may be a dozen things I think are completely reasonable and you think all of them are unreasonable. Mm -hmm. And that is a matter of preference. And by the way, you could say, hey, it's unreasonable to ask me to wear anything besides my regular outfit. And you wouldn't be wrong for that. Right. You would simply say, this is my preference to wear these things. I'm not going to go out of my way. I think about uh, Brian Houston, the liver king. He, um, I saw this video of him recently where he was walking. No, he wasn't. He was riding a horse through a retail store (laughs) and he didn't have a shirt on. (laughs) Now, does he ever wear a shirt? He never wears a shirt. And that's the thing. (laughs) So the the people go up to him in the retail store and say, sir, I'm sorry. 
you can't be in here without a shirt on. <laughs> he was riding a freaking horse through the store. They didn't mention the horse at oh all. Oh my goodness. But it was actually, you know what they said to him? Would you mind putting a shirt on? He mm. said, yes, I would mind. Mm. And so they're totally fine with that can be their expectation. You have to wear a hijab in our retail store. Now you're not going to get many customers in Iowa if that's mm. your business model, right? Mm -hmm. For him, he was saying, yes, I do mind. And so I'm not going to be a patron of this establishment if you mm -hmm. force me to wear a shirt. Now, that to most people seems unreasonable to not want to wear a shirt. But for him, it's completely reasonable. Yeah, He decides he doesn't want to wear a shirt. And you get to decide that. And it doesn't mean that he's right or he's wrong or the retail, retail establishment is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. They have conflicting preferences. And so therefore, there's a mismatch. They're yeah. going to have to go their separate ways. Yeah. You know what I like about that story, too, is that no one noticed the horse, even though in one sense, the horse is more noticeable. And it goes to show how so many of the rules that we live by and that we demand others live by, it's just an expression of habit. Mm. That if someone were to sit us down and walk us through it, we'd say, oh, actually, I care more about the fact that he's riding in my store with the horse than the fact that he's not wearing a shirt. But my brain's turned off in that direction because I'm running a script that says, follow the rule, don't stand out, follow the rule, make everyone else follow the rules that I have to follow. So it's just an interesting thing, man. That is. is the spirit of the obsolete object segment here. It's to live intentionally, one must question the rules that are set forth, right? Because the rules create some useful limitations in our life. But when they start getting in the way, when they stop serving us, but we continue to follow them anyway, that is not an intentional life. Mm. It's the opposite of intention. It's blindly following some other prescription that someone has handed to you. Yeah. Sucky Woo. ad. We got a sucky ad this week. This one is, let's listen to, who called in here? Autumn called in and told us about some sucky ads. My name is Autumn. I'm a Patreon supporter from Pennsylvania. Uh, I just wanted to bring up something I've been noticing. Uh, you know, I watch a lot of professional sports, the NBA, MLB, NHL, uh, but I find the ads littered in the games, you know, on jerseys at the court, in between quarters, or while the game is being played, really disruptive and distracting from what I'm actually trying to enjoy. Uh, you know, I find it hard to enjoy the game when there's this greater agenda being shoved in my face, especially when, you know, those companies are, uh, you know, go against everything I value. Uh, and I also struggle to like tune out those ads that purposefully attempt to make young women like myself, uh, you know, feel less accepted because I don't meet some company standards. You know, but I really enjoy watching sports and it's just becoming more and more difficult to turn on those games when I know I'll probably feel so much anxiety from the overabundance of ads. Autumn, I agree that advertisers are often trying to make you feel inadequate as a human being, but especially as women, advertisers do a great job of making women feel inadequate. Yeah. You know what? You need more makeup to make yourself more beautiful so you're more attractive to the opposite sex or to the same sex to other people. In order for you to be complete, you have to make up yourself. You have to be inauthentic. You have to be made up. Okay? And then we do that with what? Fashion, obviously. We also do it with all the accessories that we have, whether it's 
home goods, furnishings. In order to be a better, more complete version of yourself, you must complete yourself with consumer purchases. You are inadequate until you acquire our product. Mm. And then, of course, the what she's talking about here with the NBA, with TK and I watch a lot of NBA, Ryan, you watch the NFL, and the ads are absolutely rampant. It's crazy. They suck. Dude, it's horrible. They're like, on the jerseys. Do they yeah. do this in the NBA where, like, if there's a timeout, they do the split screen? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, okay. Like, it's the one half of it's a commercial, the other half is, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, a, it's Wait. the game. Oh, man. Yes. That's, that's horrible. They're yeah. injecting ads into every possible moment. There are chirons with ads. This timeout is brought to you by this car company. Yeah. This fast break was brought to you by this bank because we'll get you a loan fast. Dude, I wish we had enough money to buy up all the ad space and just have it be like silence. Oh. (laughs) Here's what I'll say. The worst one for me, Autumn, I totally agree with you, are the the ads on the jersey. Yeah. And if you want to see someone, I think it's going to take a Kyrie Irving type figure (laughs) to come out one day with just black tape over top of Mm -hmm. the sponsor like Bumble or whoever's on their jersey Mm -hmm. and say, no, I'm not doing this. Yeah, dock my pay. I don't Mm -hmm. care. You don't get to advertise on my body. I'm a human being. I am not a walking advertisement. You do not have permission to be a corporation on my body. It's the reason I don't wear logos. I refuse to wear logos. If my clothes have a logo on it, I do whatever I can to remove that logo whenever feasible because I don't want to shill for that corporation. I already paid the corporation once Mm -hmm. by giving them my money, my time, my attention to acquire their shirt or pants or shoes, I don't want to pay them again by walking around as a walking, talking billboard for that corporation. Yeah. Hey, I'm curious, if you subscribe to something like NBA TV, mm-hmm. does that give you an ad-free experience? Does anyone know? No, it doesn't. It doesn't? Uh, it gives you fewer ads. And that's why I'm a big proponent of, say, YouTube Premium, for example. Oh, yeah. Because, I'm, I, by the way, I was disgusted with TK, though. They showed me something on, on YouTube and he pulls out his YouTube and he, and it's like, he has to serve, he has to wait there for 30 minutes as he goes through ads on his YouTube. <laughs> I'm like, TK, I know we don't pay a ton of money to be on the podcast, <laughs> but I can give you 12 more dollars. We'll give you a $12 a month bump. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not giving YouTube my money. Oh, uh, no, you're just going to give them your attention. Right. No, yeah. but, but I'm not though. I'm, I'm letting them waste their time. I know that there's a commercial before every video and I'm always doing something. I always got something to do. Never bored. Don't even know what that experience feels like. When I pull up the video, I know that there's going to be an ad and I let them waste their time. I can't remember a single YouTube commercial that's ever played while I'm waiting for a video because I do my thing when that's ready. And as mm-hmm. soon as that skip ad thing comes up, I, I got it timed down. Boop. Yeah. YouTube ain't getting my money. They're not giving me any money. No, They're not getting mine. They are getting your attention. Though. They are. They're, yeah. But they're, they're only getting my attention when it's something I want to look at. I honestly can't tell you a single YouTube ad I've ever seen. No, that's my you. point. They're getting your attention in the sense that you ha- you're, you know that there is a skip forward button, right? I don't even yeah. know that because I don't have access to yeah, those it, ads. It happens five seconds into the video. Mm-hmm. Yep. There you go. And my, my point is here that we, it's a constant reminder that we're always being advertised mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. What are the stats? The average uh, person sees how many ads it's in a like day? It's like 5,000 advertisements a day. That was from 2016, I think. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, it's got to be more Dang. than that by now. Certainly. 
Professor Sean. Dang. I have a friend whose young daughter calls ads skip ads. One word. That's oh, what she thinks uh, they're called. So skip cute. ads. Skip that's ads. so great, right? That That's really because telling. Skip ads. Yeah. Hey, you know, there is some interesting stuff happening. We'll debate about should I pay the $12 later. I actually want to hear from our our, uh, supporters. What do y'all think? Do y'all think I should give YouTube my $12 to go ad-free or should I continue my technique of just ignoring the ads? I want to hear from you. Mm -hmm. But um, some interesting things are happening with respect to NBA, NFL. So I think um, Crypto.com was the sponsor for the Miami Heats arena. They Mm -hmm. have like a um, 20-year contract or something like that. And... um, Miami Heat is is ditching them and 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 gonna change the name of the arena because I think either they went bankrupt or am I getting it right, Danny? FTX. It was FTX. Oh, Miami, yeah, because Crypto.com is the LA state is the Lakers and okay, it's, it's the Lakers. So FTX was the sponsor for Miami Heat, and Miami Heat's now dropping them. So mm-hmm. the, uh, because they because they're they're caught up with some bankruptcy or scandal, whatever. So that's an interesting thing. Also, there are a lot of fans that are complaining about how the NBA and the NFL have taken an increasingly strong political turn in maybe the last three, four years. And they have the right to be as political as they want to be, but fans also have the right to be honest about the fact that when they turn on ESPN, they kind of know what they're doing, right? Mm. Um, People turn on ESPN because they know that that's different from CNN and they want that difference. And the distinction between CNN and ESPN is kind of being lost as they're just constantly shoving down our face messages and agendas that have nothing to do with the reason why we were tuned in in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we can't underestimate our power here. Sometimes we think I'm just one person. So if I stop buying this or stop paying for that, it won't make a difference. But there's something to be said about voting with your dollar. And I think there's a mathematical case that could be made that the votes you make in the marketplace with your dollar actually have more influence than yeah. the votes you make at the voting booth. I'm not hating on the fact that y'all go to the voting booth though, Ryan. No, no, it's it's all good, man. You know, <laughs> I, I know you don't you don't judge, you only relate. No, I mean, any anything that we do, I was talking about it earlier, it has a cost. And, you know, let's say you drink alcohol. Great, you like how alcohol makes you feel, but guess what? There is a, Toxic cost to your body when you drink alcohol. I mean, this is like, you know, the quintessential uh, example of you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like Mm -hmm. if you want to watch sports, this is what comes along with it. If you want to watch YouTube, this is what comes along with it. And there's not a right or wrong answer here on whether or not you should watch sports or watch YouTube. But being aware of like the costs that you have to, uh, you know, that you have to give to look at these things, I mean, that's, you have to decide whether or not it's worth it. It is totally intrusive. It's interruptive. I hate it as well. Um, but I like watching football, right? So I put up with it. Is there a way out, Josh? Is it just that? Like, hey, man, if you like the game, you got to put up with all these ads. You could watch rerun games and fast forward through everything. There, there are a couple <laughs> ways out. So first off, the way out is to dissolve where it's to control what you can control, right? And so the reason that I opt out of ads on YouTube, and I think YouTube isn't even the best example because as you said, you can skip ahead from the ad after five seconds or whatever. But there are other things. So for example, um, Dan Savage, one of my favorite podcasts, Savage Lovecast. Uh, Two things I dislike about his podcast, the public version. One is the obscene amount of ads that he has in it, Mm. right? And the second thing is his uh, opening political monologues. I, I just, I, I'm not a fan of following politics in general. And so I I know those are usually about eight minutes, so I just skip ahead eight minutes. Yeah. But I also subscribe to his ad-free version, which is twice as long. So he answers twice as many questions on there, which I really enjoy. And 
there isn't a single ad peppered mm. in between his questions. Mm. Now, we as the minimalists could certainly do that. Between every question that we answer, here's another ad from mm. Casper or Liquid Death. Me undies. Yeah. <laughs> we could do those things, but it's gross. I'm not going to do it. No. I'll fire every fucking one of you first before I do that. And we'll come in here and we'll do this podcast for free. He will burn this place to the ground. You hear that? <laughs> hey, man, you just changed my mind about something in real time. Ooh. You actually just sold me on, you know, I, I took a hard stance. YouTube not getting my money, which could be a good rap song title. But, you know, what, what I just saw when, when you talked about how you subscribe to that ad free experience with, with the, uh, the podcast you are economically incentivizing that podcaster you for for the kind of behavior mm. that you want to see yes. you're literally rewarding them for something that you see as good you're you're signaling to them hey when you don't do the ad thing i'm going to try to make you richer mm -hmm. yeah and when you do the ad thing i'm going to try my best to ignore you mhm mm yes and when I say that in jest, like I'd fire everyone in this room, I don't mean that literally. I mean, hey, we'll all show up and whatever money this thing makes, it makes. And yeah. we pay people well based on the fact that we don't do advertisements. Mm -hmm. And I could pay everyone in this room more. Yeah. Me and Ryan certainly would make a lot more money if we did ads on the podcast. But it would put me in a type of prison yeah. where I now feel beholden to corporations. And I, I left that behind. I retired from corporate America at age 30 not to get back in bed with corporate America in some other fashion. And I love the point that TK is making here is, you know what? We can incentivize these places to go a particular direction. Whenever Wikipedia pops up with, hey, would you donate to us? Hell yeah. Every time I do it. Mm -hmm. If it's just 20 bucks or something, yeah. I use Wikipedia all the time. Of course, I will give you my money. Why? There's not a single ad on there ever. And so I want to incentivize them to make sure they don't put ads on that platform in the future. Yeah. And the same thing is true with Hulu or Netflix. If yeah. you have a ad-free version, you have a few options there. You can opt out altogether. If there's an ad-supported medium, then yeah, you have to opt out altogether. I can tell you what I do with NBA games to, hmm. to answer your question. It doesn't eliminate it, but it gets rid of 90 plus percent of the ads. I simply watch the recaps on YouTube. Yeah. So you do watch the replays, yeah. Yeah. I don't I won't watch the whole games anymore because of all the commercials and everything peppered throughout. Yeah. I'll watch the recap. I'll get to see, you know, the key plays from the game that I want it to enjoy. I it's minimally advertised. There's still the ads on their jersey and the court, you know, says the Vivint Home Arena or whatever. Um, and I don't like those things, but I'm filtering out. 90 plus percent of the dangerous ads. Ever since yeah. I was a kid, my aunt uh, would mute the commercials. And she nice. still does that even with like, yeah, nice. to this day, she still does it. Yeah. Shut off the program. That's right. And ads are dangerous because exactly what Autumn talked about. They make you feel inferior. Mm -hmm. There's a great Joshua James line that I borrowed in one of our books when he talks about the models with their half a serving hips. And it makes you feel as though like, oh, not only do I need to consume more products, but I need to consume less food in order to look like this person so I can fit into the products that I want to consume in order to make me more like that person that I see in the advertisement. Let's move on to the Photo Friday home tour. This is our home tour of the week. 
Ryan was just out of our home <laughs> this weekend. And next week, you're going to see a picture of Ryan and my daughter in the backyard <laughs> playing, getting really cold. That's a little teaser for mm-hmm, next week. Mm-hmm. But this is a photo that you all, if you subscribe to the video version of the podcast, you received this last Friday in your inbox. If not, don't worry. If you just listen to the audio version, I'll do my best to explain this photo. This is our bedroom. We have Ryan convinced me, not knowing, he didn't try to convince me of Hmm. anything, to try out a California king-sized bed. Mm. He was always shaming me for (laughs) my queen-sized bed that I had before. That's right. So this is Bex laying on the the queen-size, or I'm sorry, the California king-sized bed. Mm. The the difference between a a Cali king and a regular king is just how long. It's a little bit longer. Yeah, it's like four inches longer. Yeah. Six inches longer. I don't know. (laughs) Show me about how long six inches is. (laughs) Come on, man. Um, so this is uh, Beck. She like actually ran in the room and, and do- dove onto the bed real quick when I was getting ready to take this picture. And so I called this the queen of, or the California queen because mm-hmm. Bex is here for the photo. But this is pretty much everything that's in the room. Last week, you saw the other side of the room, which has a massage table and a PEMF mat on it and a little sideboard where we keep the equipment. But that's it. It's a pretty simple room. In this email, I'll put a link to this in the, in the show notes for you as well. Um, right before we just got our bed frame, which you can see there, we waited, I don't know, four months for that thing to show up. We've been sleeping with our mattress on the floor Mm. for four months. And I didn't care for it very much because my back was feeling kind of just off Mm. off by sleeping on the mattress on the floor. Mm. But Bex really enjoyed having the mattress on the floor, Mm. which I think shows the dichotomy here. One person wasn't right. The other person wasn't wrong. It was like, well, it was like, well, what is best for both of us, right? right. And I did a little short video home tour on my Instagram. You can find it at Joshua Fields Milburn, or you can just go to the show notes and find the link to this. It was a quick reel, maybe 30 seconds of my bedroom. And it was right before we got this bed frame. And the comments in that were so mean. <laughs> and I didn't even know about it until Beulah, the gal who designed our studio space that we're in right now, she texted me, she goes, the comments to this thing are unbelievable. So oh, many people wow. are concerned that you don't have a bed frame. Oh, They're wow. like angry. You don't have a bed frame. Wow. And I, I wanted to wonder, I wondered why. And a lot of it. So I went in and took a look and I realized like, oh, a lot of people experience back pain from not having a bed frame. Mm-hmm. And so they're mapping that on to other people and saying, well, because I experienced this, you are going to experience it as well. And I would say, well, it depends on who the person is. You're actually right about me. I did experience back pain. Mm-hmm. But also, some of the other comments like, come on, it's time to grow up. Get a bed frame already. You're taking wow. this minimalism thing too far. Wow. <laughs> it wow. literally had nothing to do with minimalism for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was just like... And so what was so fascinating, as you can see from, from the photo here, it's just a bed mm. with two end tables, a couple lamps, a mattress, and that's it. Uh, and Bex, obviously. Bex is laying there on the bed. She's so tall that even the California king cannot contain her. Not long her. enough. <laughs> Holy moly. She always says she's 5'10", but I'm pretty sure she's 6'1". <laughs> anyway, um, so so many people were so frustrated. That, and then other people brought up some, I thought, concerns that were worth exploring. Hey, you know, if you leave a mattress on the floor for too long, it can attract mold mm. or it can attract bed bugs or whatever, right? And so some people were giving some helpful feedback 
But a lot of people were just really upset <laughs> that I, for some reason, it's the opposite of the tweet that you were reading earlier. They felt not just compelled to comment, but almost offended by the fact that I didn't have a bed frame. The irony of that is I totally had a bed frame. It was just being delivered. I hadn't received <laughs> it yet. And so the funny thing about all of this to me is we love to get outraged about something that literally has nothing to do with us whatsoever. And isn't that a synecdoche for our online life, our online outrage? Often the things that we're outraged about are things that are outside of our control, but also have no control over our own well-being. And yet I'm still going to get pissed off about it. Why? Because it gives me some sense of certainty that I have a righteous point of view. Mm. Ubu. Outrage on behalf of others. Your ubu makes you smell like boo-boo. Uh. <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> That's wild, man. Before we get to our added value segment, let's check back in with the Patreon live stream. Alabama, any more questions for us? We have a question here from Marvette. I have a strong desire to explore, but I'm currently on a debt-free journey, so I'm trying not to spend. What are some good options to keep law costs low? I'm trying to just delay, but sometimes I'm very restless and it feels so restrictive to be still. Mm, I love to get lost in your hometown. Mm -hmm. I mean, go to places like Josh and I lived in Dayton, Ohio. There's like the coolest Air Force Museum. That's free. Mm -hmm. And him and I never went while we lived in Dayton, Ohio. Now, every time we go back to Dayton, we go to the Air Force right, Museum. Right, exactly. Now we go, and I wish we would have like got lost in Dayton a little bit more than we did. I mean, we did find some cool spots and get lost a little bit here and there, but... I, I, for me, it just shows how there's probably an endless amount of things that you can get lost in your own city with. My friend Paige, we joke because now that I live in Southern California, we see each other less than we did when I lived in Charleston. Because when I lived in Charleston, even though I didn't come out here a whole lot, I made it a point that every time I come to California, I am definitely going to see Paige. Mm. Even if I only stop by his apartment for 15 minutes and am, a total, and, and, and am in a total rush. So we saw each other all the time. But now that I live here, it's like, yeah, man, we'll get together sometime because we have forever. Yeah. Right? Mm. We take for granted that which we have access to. Oh, yes. And realize that you have access to it only if you're willing to access it. Mm -hmm. oh. And right now, the way to explore your hometown is accessing the things that are inexpensive for you or free next to nothing in terms of monetary costs. Of course, it's still going to take your time. It's going to take your attention. In fact, it's probably going to take more of those resources because you have to become aware of what's going on around you in your city. Or you can take a road trip to the city next to you. You know, if you live in Dayton, you can go to Cincinnati. You live in Cincinnati, you can go to Louisville. You live in Louisville, you can go to Nashville. You live in Nashville, you can go to Chattanooga. You live in Chattanooga, you can go to Atlanta. You live in Atlanta, you can go to Savannah. You can live in Savannah, then, wow, you're you just can stuck go to Tallahassee. <laughs> <laughs> one more question, Alabama. This one comes from Delphine. I can only budget for one small trip a year right now. How do I tell friends and family that I can't afford to visit them, but can afford to go on or am prioritizing a vacation? Mm, I would just tell them the airplane works both ways. Mm. <laughs> Man, that's good. Yeah. So the problem is you, you can't afford to go on a vacation, but you're afraid the friends are going to see that and then make a comparison. Oh, you got time yeah. to go do that, we, oh, yeah. but mm -hmm. not time to come see me. Yeah. I mean, I, I got family who, it's so weird, man, because like they've become so supportive over the years. Like at first, like it, 
there wasn't a lot of support, but like the more and more time goes on, like they're completely supportive. So I usually go back to Ohio every Thanksgiving and like Mariah and I have traveled so much this year because this is like really the first year the kind of travel opened up that I call my mom and I'm like, I'm sorry, but like, we're not, we're not coming to Ohio for Thanksgiving. We usually go to Montana for Christmas. I'm, you know, we told Mariah's parents, like probably not going to go to Montana for Christmas. And like, they totally understood. I mean, my mom was, um, she's like, yeah, I get it. Like, she's like, good on you for like taking your own advice and like doing things that, that, uh, energize you rather than like, you know, make, take all your energy away. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, hopefully you're, hopefully your fa- uh, family is supportive. Explain to them like, Hey, we only have it in the budget to go to one place a year. And this is where we went this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, we, we couldn't make it out to you. Um, but uh, you're always welcome at my place. Feel free to stop by anytime. I think it's also worth noting that you are not compelled to explain yourself. Right. And I don't explain why I don't go. You know, my wife and, and her family that she grew up with, they often they have these like retreats that they go on in Minnesota or somewhere else. And Hey, I don't want to go. I like Minnesota just fine. But if I'm going to travel somewhere, that's not my hell. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like the place. It's fine. But also spending a week around a bunch of other people is not a hell. Yeah, for me. I don't need to say that to them. I don't want to ruin their party. I don't mm. want it to be a poor experience for them. I want to th- them to enjoy themselves. Right. But the irony is if I show up, they might actually enjoy themselves less because they could see how like miserable this is for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The best kind of friends are the kind of people who don't compete with your highest excitement. When you tell them you're getting ready to do something that brings you joy, they don't go, oh, well, you got time to do that, but you don't have time to hang out with me. Yeah. And the best kind of friend you can be to those types of people is the kind of friend who lets them know that's not acceptable. That's not cool. If I told Josh or Ryan, hey, guys, I'm getting ready to go to the movies tonight. And y'all were like, oh, you got time to go to the movies, but you don't have time to hang out with me. I would say, stop that, man. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to us. Because that is something you're doing to us. Because if you do it too many times, mm. I'm going to buy you a ticket for the bus. I had to make it rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's how good. my brain works. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Here's uh, oh, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> You know what? Let's check in with one more Patreon live stream question, Alabama. Okay. One last one. This one comes from Lindsay. When traveling, how do I know if it's an impulse purchase or just me trying to enjoy it? Let's call this the impulse purchases segment because an impulse purchase is something that will immediately cause clutter in your life. Mm. It feels as though it is a worthwhile pursuit because of marketers or advertisers or a corporation or a crafty individual creator made you feel as though I need that thing and I need it right now. That's what an impulse purchase is. Now, the truth is you were the only person who ultimately makes the impulse purchase because it is your impulse to buy the thing. Yes, these corporations and advertisers might try to manipulate you, but if you're living intentionally, you're not going to bring in anything into your life that adds clutter, that complicates your life. Because if you complicate your life, if your life is complected, you're interweaving unnecessary things into your life it's really hard to simplify. And without that simplicity, you're losing 
access to the peace that is already innate within you. And so my direct answer to this question, does that purchase bring you peace? Does it bring you tranquility? Or does it add clutter that actually gets in the way of those things? Yeah. Mm, yeah. No, that's a great question. Because like, if you're on vacation, you can't really use the 30-30 rule, which is, you know, if it costs over $30, you wait 30 days. So you have a... 30 hours, but yeah. I'm sorry, 30 hours. So uh, you have a choice. Like you either let it go or, or, or you don't. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I love what you're saying. Like, is it going to bring you tranquility? Is it going to bring you peace? Is it going to add value? But here, here you go. You have my permission. I don't know about Josh and TKs, <laughs> but you you purchase every impulse purchase that you want to buy. Here's the one caveat I would say is don't hold on to that item too tightly. So if you get it and you think it's going to add value and you bring it home and then it ends up being clutter and you end up resenting that thing to hold on to it just because you spent money on it, that that is where I think it would get a bit more pernicious um, than if you like brought that home and after a couple months, you're like, you know what? This thing doesn't look good in my house. Ooh. This thing doesn't look good on me. Um, I'm going to go find this a home where where it's it's going to fit. The, the only thing, you're bringing up a great point here. The only thing that creates clutter is clinging. Mm. And so you can bring that thing into your home. And as soon as you notice it gets in the way, it becomes clutter if you continue to hold on to it. Clinging means holding on well beyond its obsolescence. That thing is no longer serving a purpose in your life. It's not adding any sort of aesthetic beauty or value. It is now in the way. I have a choice as soon as something gets in the way. My choice is cling tighter, hoping that one day maybe I'll get some little bit of value or I can release it. And I'm releasing the clutter when I release the idol. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Hey, man, following your bliss is like getting the joke. When you got it, you don't have to question it. Did I get that joke? Or was I just laughing for 10 minutes for nothing? Right? You don't do that to yourself, right? When you get the joke, you know you got it because you're busy laughing at it. In a similar way, when you're following your bliss, you're not questioning it. You're feeling it. You're enjoying it. So how do you know if you bought it merely for impulse or if you bought it for enjoyment? It's when the bliss of having it, the bliss of engaging it, the bliss of experiencing it far outweighs any capacity for doubt, any capacity for regret. You're not asking yourself, did I really want that thing? Because that's just not what we do Mm. when we're busy enjoying something. We've moved the added value segment over to the private podcast. So it's no longer publicly available for each week on the the public episodes. But this week, I've got three things that I personally never travel without. I've tried to travel without them. And that's why I've actually learned that I don't want to travel without these things because Mm -hmm. they add value to my travel experience. The first one, which we'll put up on the screen, Jordan will throw it up here in a second, is a earthing mat. So we did a whole episode about earthing. We brought Clint Mm -hmm. Ober on and the earthing mat that I use from earthing.com. Not a sponsor, obviously. Advertisements still suck. We're actually sitting on some earthing mats right now. I'll model this one for you. I'm standing on one. Yeah. Yeah. So you're standing on one. I have a a seated one. I pack the one, the full queen size one that I'll just put on a mattress and it doesn't take up that much space. No, it doesn't. You could travel with a a simple seated one or the one that Ryan's standing on right now, which is about twice the size of, of this. Or in the picture you have up here, 
that is the full mat. It just goes over top of the bed. And the first thing I do if I at an Airbnb, hotel room, or someone's guest bedroom is I pull the sheets off the bed and I put the earthing mat on the bed. And that allows me, especially if I've been flying somewhere, grounding immediately after flying really helps reset my circadian rhythm. Because Ryan, I can't tell you how many times we used to travel without this. And you get to a new time zone, new place, and all of a sudden you're up till 2 a.m. Dude. Miserable. It really is. No, the earthing mat is, is pretty awesome. It's funny how, again, like whether it's placebo or not, like I sleep better when I'm, when I'm grounding at night, for mm-hmm. sure. I'm going to give you guys a real good life hack. You use your earthing mat while listening to Santa Baby by Eartha Kit. <laughs> <laughs> You don't even know. Oh, my God. The second thing I always bring with me, and I forgot this a few trips ago, and I was Mm. really frustrated with myself, and it is my sleep mask, the Sleep Master Sleep Mask. It's a good one. I've mentioned this on the podcast several times before. People always ask me about it. We'll put a link to both of these in the show notes, Mm -hmm. the earthing mat and the Sleep Master Sleep Mask. I hate... It's the most ugly thing I own because it's blue, this weird, shiny satin blue teal maybe like yeah Yeah. you can see so you can see it this is it's a sleep mask and so every night i sleep with a sleep mask especially when i'm traveling because you don't have control over the lights in the room sometimes Mm -hmm. like there's a flashing alarm in the room or there's a there's something peering in you 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 put you in a room where there's a bright light coming in through the window or whatever Mm -hmm. and you just have to deal with it well this blocks that out it makes traveling so much more enjoyable also if i'm on a plane i can just throw that on real quick and take a quick nap it's a great sleep mask i need that because i always get the ufo experience with my rooms always (laughs) it's like there's always the ufo that lands (laughs) Lands in your window why are you guys always picking on me when i'm traveling (laughs) Uh, He's he's a full probed experience. Oh, my goodness. It'll go away if you have. I I was focusing on the UFO. Oh, my God. It's a nasal probe. What are you thinking? And the third thing Josh brings is condoms. (laughs) (laughs) When he goes into a room, he puts them over everything he can. (laughs) (laughs) I showed you the scene in the card counter. Yeah, dude. Okay. Yeah. There is a scene in the film, the card counter, where he goes to a hotel and I am so OCD. I saw the scene and I didn't see mental illness in the scene. <laughs> I saw, oh, this must be the correct way to do things. He's a genius. That's exactly what I saw. So what he did, he got to the room. He had two suitcases with him. He pull, puts one up on the bed right away. You flip it open and it's all a bunch of white sheets in there. A bunch right? of linens. Yeah, just a bunch of bed linens. And I'm like, oh, how smart. He brings his own linens because he doesn't trust the hotel. And there, you know, he's staying in these like Motel 6s. And many mm-hmm. of the shady motels you and I stayed at back in 2011 when we were on our first tour, right? I'm just glad we didn't have a black light with us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he breaks out these sheets in the card counter, the movie. Uh, o- Oscar Isaac is the main character in there. Mm-hmm. Not a great movie, but this one scene, amazing. In fact, Podcast Sean, put a link to the YouTube video of this scene in particular because it is on YouTube and it will make you understand my own level of OCD. Mm. So what he does, he opens up the the bed sheets and you're like, what? Okay, cool. This makes sense. I'm like, maybe I should do that. And then it flashes forward like 5, 10, 20 minutes and you see all of the furniture in the room is covered up with these sheets. The, The desk, the lamp, the chairs. He's removed all the photos from the walls. Yes. And I'm like, 
oh, this is perfect. This is what I want every hotel room to look like. <laughs> it's so wild. Oh my goodness. I love that that was your hero. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas most people look at it as like, oh, this is mental illness. I'm like, no, this is concentration. This is focus. Oh my God. Oh my God. All he did was use twine to, to wrap around the sheets for the desk and the end table, the lamps. Every surface in that room was covered with these sheets and it looked so beautiful and minimalist. Oh, it was stunning. The third thing I bring on uh, any travel is the pair of red underwear, Jordan. I love hmm. how Malcolm brought that up earlier. I know, right? That was so, cool. <laughs> so I have a confession. The red underwear you saw in the documentary Minimalism, which you can still watch now. It's no longer on Netflix. We've removed it from Netflix. You can check it out at minimalismfilm.com. There are six hours of bonus interviews there as well that didn't make the film. 20 other videos, I believe, all there at minimalismfilm.com. That red underwear that you saw in there, it's no longer red. Oh, it's blue. You hypocrite. <laughs> he changed sides. Oh, he's Democrat. Now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes, it was a big political statement. <laughs> no, I just uh, well, I went to when, when that pair went bad. I went to go reorder a new pair, and they didn't have any. So I I just mm. needed one pair of underwear that was different from the other underwear. So I wear black underwear every day, except I wear I own one pair of blue underwear. Mm. And anytime I'm wearing that, Bex looks at me and says, "Oh, it must be laundry day." Yep. And that was the same. I learned that from being on the road. If I'm wearing the blue underwear, I better go do some laundry because I'm out of all of my other underwear. But it also acts as a separating barrier. So my clean underwear are on top of the red underwear and my dirty underwear go underneath the red underwear. And this separates the clean and the dirty underwear. So I'm not accidentally wearing dirty underwear two days in a row. Although if I did, no one would know. Uh, one time we were on tour, I wore the same t-shirt to nine different events. So it was nine days in a row. Ryan and I were doing event after event after event. And it was probably six different events in nine days. Mm -hmm. But I wore the same t-shirt. And guess what? No one noticed at all. Mm. So those are the three things that I've tried to travel without. And I have failed because... They add value to my travel and traveling with nothing. I don't want to travel like Jack Reacher, although I aspire to travel like that. <laughs> he has nothing but what fits on his person or in his pockets. But for me, a simple travel bag with a few things that add value to my travel experience. They don't get in the way of the travel experience. They don't create clutter for the travel experience. And that's really what we've been talking about for the last two and a half hours on this private podcast episode is intentional travel bringing the things with us that serve the travel, omitting, letting go of the things that get in the way of experiencing the place that we're going to. Jack, reach your hack. Wear cargo pants. <laughs> hey, I want to get to that level. How, man, how bad would you feel just traveling, doing all the things, just nothing but what you have on? Yeah, that'd be awesome. I think Leo Babauta probably travels like that. Who? Leo Babauta? Yeah, he probably does. Uh, mm. So I've been golfing a lot, frisbee golfing or disc golfing, depending on where you're at in the country. They call it all sorts of things. Um, I carry, I used to carry just two discs. Now I carry three discs. Um, but my buddy, he started off with Minimalist 11. Exposed. Yeah. He he did 11, then seven. And and I think now he's down to like three or four. But uh, uh, Mariah shows up with one disc and she like destroys us. She's very good at, at Frisbee golf. Um, but it's funny because like the last time uh, him and I went, 
he because he usually has a backpack with all his discs in it. And this last time he was like, Oh, I decided to try it out like you do and just bring a few discs. And the whole time he's like, This is amazing. This is so nice to not have to carry a backpack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't think about the burdens that burden us when they become commonplace. Right. We don't realize that the thing that is actually burdening us is burdening us because it's just become part of my everyday routine. It's something up with which I must put. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I'm going to carry that backpack full of frizz- frisbees, mm-hmm. even though my experience would be so much better if I could ditch the backpack and actually experience the experience. Yeah. Mm. Big thanks to Malcolm Fontier for joining us today. Oh, yeah. We'll put a link to Pack Bags if you're interested. Here's what I'll say. You probably don't need another backpack. You're probably just fine with exactly what you have. I don't want to sell you anything. By the way, Ryan and I don't get any more money for mentioning this. We already did that project with him. Mm-hmm. That thing is is over and done with. He has his own company. We don't own part of the company or anything like that. We partnered on one bag. It was called the Packed One. He has several other bags as well. And we don't get any money for telling you about this. But Malcolm Fontier, we, when we partnered with him, that was a great you know, business experiment to see, okay, can the minimalists actually create an intentional, physical good with someone? And a ton of work went into producing that bag. If you're interested, like I said, you probably don't need another bag. It's not going to make your travel more complete. It's not going to make you a better person. It's not going to complete you or your travels, right? And yet, it may add some value to the travel experience if you really feel like you need another bag, but you'll probably be just fine without it. All right, that's our maximal episode for today. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, TK Coleman, Alabama, Podcast Sean, Jordan No More, Professor Sean, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Post-Production Peter, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Peace. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it.